yeah, like you said, goal line clearance is a lot of good play. Feisty at times, I think Arsenal's still count as higher than Chelsea. Keep up to date with the latest WSL action and the biggest interviews. I could never see myself putting on another jersey. Subscribe to the Koi Gig podcast stream on the OTB Sports app now. OTB AM. With Gillette, put your best face forward with our new and improved razors. All right, Monday morning, we are bright-eyed and bushy-tailed. I'm looking forward to a pretty interesting weekend, a week of sport and a brilliant weekend to look back on as well, as ever. Let's hear from you if you're a golf fan and you're astonished by Rory McIlroy's attack last night in the wee hours on Phil Mickelson, which we'll bring you details of, but it is, like, sensational. It is, like, one of the best bits of a professional sports person, talking about another professional sports person that you're ever going to see. Rory McIlroy is lit. We'll uh, bring you the details of that a little bit later on. Kerry, absolutely sensational. Ushie McConville asking if they can do it on a wet night in Stoke, saying in Skeen is that next week? You're pretty confident they will be able to. It's, uh, it's unfair. I literally, literally made that comparison yesterday, uh, comparing it to Turf Moor or, or to Britannia. It is. It Did is, you? Yeah, it is. On air? In public? Uh, oh, in, in, the, in, the, in, the, in the WhatsApp group. In, yeah, the, in private. Kerry yeah. Mafia WhatsApp Clear, group. Clearly Oshie McConville's got, gotten in. Yeah, I mean, look. Yeah. <laughs> All these numbers with the... Or else it's just a very uh, very easy comparison to make. It's uh, the most... <laughs> Great minds think alike is the one you're looking for. The most, uh, it's the mo- it is the most national league of national league settings, isn't it? Uh, in the scheme. So that, that, that beckons to them at the weekend. But the one that I think everybody's looking forward to is, is the Mayo game, right? I think people are looking forward to seeing Kerry and Mayo... Uh, go toe to toe in in Chile in a game that nobody's won at home a fixture that nobody's won at home in like a decade oh really Uh, so the expectation is that that's that's the weekend where uh, a a possible preview of the league final Armagh will have something to say about that no doubt over the next few weeks but uh, it's going to be a very very interesting few weeks um, yeah we'll talk about all this with Anthony Moyles a little little bit later on Evan Ferguson made his debut for Brighton in the Premier League he made his Premier League debut came off the bench 69 minutes in Nice all round. He's going to remember that forever. Now they obviously get hammered, and afterwards the main talking point is a row between Shane Duffy, the goalkeeper, his old goalkeeper, uh, and um, Potter's. Like mm, we weren't our best selves today. <laughs> it was like wow, well, it's very, very calm, very uh, new age management speak, and also correct. They weren't their best selves, but Evan Ferguson was his best self. Comes off the bench to become the third youngest Irish Premier League debutant of all time. Mm. Quizmaster, Quizmaster, riddle me this. Yeah. One and two. Uh, I saw this. I can't remember. Any any rough idea? I can't remember. It's Give a, me again. Oh, look at this. No, <laughs> it's, it's, it's not in the piece that I was reading. I am... Uh, oh, the t- how the turntables have... How the turntables are. It's, it's 7.32 on a Monday morning. This Come is, on. Uh, yeah, well, you, it's fucking nine. Br- Brighton and Hove Albion were not their best selves on, on Saturday afternoon. I, I would dare say that at 7.32 We're live on, on air. Morning. You're supposed to be your best self. Uh, I was out last night, so it was another rearranged gig. Who was, who was the youngest Irish? Like, I mean... Who's in the running in your head? But I, I mean, the, the, ob- trying to think the obvious Irish players. The obvious ones would be, would be like Ro- Robbie Keane when he comes in as a as a fresh faced child, but not playing in the. Uh, he, he's one of the two. He is not one of the he's two. Not one of the two. Uh, yeah, I think everybody would have gone for Robbie Keane, but actually Robbie came through when the Wolves were in the tier. yeah the um, first division. Um, started there as a seventeen year old. Oh, Richard Dunn. Inter. Richard Dunn. Richard Dunn is one. He is the second and. Richard Dunn and who was the other? Oh, it's, 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 no, it's not what position have we been best at ever in world football? Where have we always had a slew of players? If you think of us like a, we, we create the good body type for the number sixes and number sevens, number sevens really well, in the world. Well, fullbacks are our, are our fullbacks. thing. Stephen Carr. Stephen Carr, well done. 
got there eventually. It's yeah. 7.33 now. There you go. So there you go. Wasted a minute. full minute. Congratulations, yeah. Evan Ferguson. You're behind those two. The other thing is Shane Long comes off the bench and scores. Like, that's... Uh, everybody assumed he would be released or let go or whatever. But afterwards, Hassan Hootle is saying, now this guy's a model professional. He is brilliant around the dressing room. He's exactly what you want. And maybe that goal has earned him an extra year on his, on his contract, which is an extra couple of million. It's like, not bad. Riddle me this, Quizmaster. Who is he behind when um, it comes to the all-time Premier League Irish goal scoring? Do you know the answer? Well, I mean, it's pretty obvious, isn't it? I mean, the two top... Is he second? He's third, but he's only three goals behind second place now. Okay, so it's Robbie. Premier League goal scorer is Niall Quinn. Yeah, copy and paste from the Republic of Ireland so all-time. Yeah, he's three behind Niall Quinn at this point. So does he, does he get to... to to 59 he's on 56 at the moment it, like, I mean it, it, you could see it happening if he does get that extra deal and Hassan Hootl is still manager next season because as you say he clearly sees Shane Long as somebody who's been a really positive influence around the dressing room somebody that he's kept at the club I know obviously he uh, he did let him go out and uh, kind of spread his wings last season a little bit but I, I would have expected the the move to Bournemouth had been more of a, a permanent thing last summer or, or at least a stepping stone away from the club but it didn't happen and he's back and he's scoring goals Evan Ferguson was one year old by the way when Shane Long made his move to Reading was he? So this is the <laughs> this is the, the spectrum we're talking about it's hard not to get too excited about Evan Ferguson coming through because we're desperate for somebody um, in that position uh, at the weekend for the MK Dons we did have the last version of uh, Evan Ferguson uh, scoring and um, I think maybe also creating a chance as well so uh, we definitely need some players coming through we had a centre back play the full game make his full debut for Derby who win with a 95th minute winner and are probably are they going to be safe well, do we think the way things are going at the moment like Derby County is one of the greatest stories in world sport right now like I know you've been saying it for a while but it's, it's the way things have been developing at the moment like a 90 second minute winner at the weekend it seems that Derby County just don't do things the easy way even within the context of these games at the moment and there's a huge Irish interest in what they're doing obviously you've, you've got Aaron Cashin coming in and plays at, at centre back saw the team sheet looked at him um, on Wikipedia uh, he's a former Republic of Ireland under 18 um, and has been obviously capped for to that level and you've been looking at him on Instagram just to make on sure Instagram, that he's he was like um, he's, he's, he's committed loyalty to the Republic of Ireland right. somebody was like oh you can pay for England no 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 I'm the reverse Declan Rice so okay well <laughs> uh, that's uh, Declan Rice did kiss the badge is the only thing so like put him in the squad give him some minutes I mean, I'll be I'll be happy if Cashin doesn't kiss the badge, but gives us 150 caps and uh, 40 goals from centre back, you know, yeah, or, now, or midfield. Well, that's the thing. Like, um, so he's, he's on Google. It says he's a midfielder. They've obviously picked him centre back, so maybe maybe they've changed him into a centre back, and that's what he's going to be from now on. But like, it's a ball playing, stepping into midfield, 18 year old centre back. Yeah, which you know, uh, I mean, if if we turn him into a reverse Paul McGrath, where he plays midfield for you know six or eight years of his career would be happy with that too 100% so you had him starting at centre back you'd obviously Festy Festy and Jason Knight as well yeah. and they're scoring 90 second minute winners after a massive points deduction under Wayne Rooney and trying their best to claw their way back into the safety zone in this division Yeah, it's appointment viewing at this point every week isn't it it was a, a pretty interesting weekend for the Irish kids and um, there's more speculation uh, Justin Ferzage was linked at the weekend with Hamburg was it he's on trial there am I, am I mixing this up so I'm not sure somebody else um, but uh, just, uh, just to go back very quickly before we move on to the, the point you made about Evan Ferguson and seeing a, a kid come through, like I think the Premier League has been such a difficult place to break through in over the last couple of years that there's been this expectation that somebody like um, 
I don't know who's the last great player to, to break through from an Irish perspective. Maybe someone like Matt Doherty in his age profile, where he's kind of like gone to England at a certain age, has established himself in a team that get promoted and has grinded it out to become a Premier League regular. And then all of a sudden, we have a 17 year old who just makes a debut and becomes like the third youngest Irishman of all time, making it seem a lot easier than it, than it really is, which hopefully is a, a sign that the quality coming through in Irish football is just better than it was. Yeah, it was Paul Rowan in yesterday's uh, Sunday Times who was reporting that Justin Farzaj of Rovers uh, is on trial at Hamburg right. and um, he's part of that under-17 group who've come through. He's also Irish-Albanian like uh, Rocco Vata and Kevin Zeffi. So... Um, you know, again, I think a lot of the young players coming through, there's going to be an opportunity for them to play for multiple different countries. It's something we're going to get used to and we better seduce them to play for us because that's our future. Mm, absolutely. Right. Uh, 7.38, we're a bit late to get into this, but we're going to get into the performance rankings in one second. That's what's coming next. Mark Darnton is going to join us at 10 past 8. A wild, wild weekend in the Premier League, particularly for those um, those Liverpool fans who are just shooing Steven Gerrard in to be the next manager of... Uh, Liverpool. We'll talk about that with uh, Laro. Ten past eight. Sports pages at half eight, including a clip I think of Davy Fitzgerald on the sideline, where you know he's going to be low key. It's nothing. No, not not going to be major. Definitely not going to overshadow events on the field. That's coming your way a little bit later on. Anthony Moore is going to join us at eight forty to talk about the weekend's Gaelic football. Uh, Gemma Begley at nine o'clock of the GPA talking about the motion heading to Congress this week, where. Um, Essentially, Congress will, as a body, recognise the move towards unifying the LGFA, the Camogie Association and the GA, finally, for quantum forward for equality, you would hope. Um, Alan Quinn is going to join us at ten past nine, and then the Sunday papers at half nine. Uh, some big stories in the papers yesterday. We'll deal with that for you a little bit later on in the show. Get in touch. Drop a comment on the YouTube stream. You can uh, tweet us at Off the Ball AM, or, of course, you can always text the show on 0879-180-180 but at 7.40 it's time for the performance rankings You know that wasn't an All-Ireland winning performance Probably should have won the game based on the second half performance Is it a step too far to say it was the performance so far of the World Cup? Maybe not OTBAN's performance rankings with Gillette I'm, I'm, I'm scratching my head That performance is just lacked that intensity Boom Right This is one of those weeks where actually there was loads of different ways to, to get stuff in here So how have you gone about this? Well, we're going to start with what happened at Grove Park on Saturday night. As much as I think Mayo probably deserved to, to be in the green this morning, there are other candidates that get into the green. So uh, to talk about this game, we're going at this from the negative angle, which is not any longer a surprising angle. I, I do think that there is this sort of feeling around Dublin football, who are in the red, by the way, that there is something coming from Dublin, that, that there was a possibly a big win coming from them on, on Saturday night. Like even when we were doing our predictions on, on Friday morning, I think we were split down the middle, two for Mayo, two for, for Dublin. Who was picking the dubs? Uh, not me. Right. Uh, uh, there was just no evidence. Uh, there was no sign of a spark. There was nothing. Everything that they were doing was telegraphed. And it's not like you can just change that quickly. Now, having said that, we had Colin Boyle on the show on Friday um, and... I was asking him, is there a world where you can see Dublin losing all the games? Maybe they pick up a point in Newbridge or two points in Newbridge, but they still go down. And and then they can come back in the summer. And actually what's happened here is that they're horsing through players to see who their championship squad is going to be. They'll get several players back who can start on the bench or start games for them if they need to and slowly work their way in in April and early May to a point where, you know, by the middle of June, they're one of the top three top two teams in the country it's like oh, very difficult to see that 
very difficult to see how you can just catapult from bad form into good form. I still think there's a world where that can happen, where they can get relegated here and it actually has no bearing on what's coming in the summer because of the transition that they're going through and the amount of players who they need to give some game time to and the, um, the patterns of play. I still think there is a world where that happens. It's less likely, mm-hmm. given the, the speed at which the championship hurtles towards us, but... The Leinster Championship not looking pretty hot, is it? No, and like there's every chance that Dublin will be the best placed Leinster team in the National League at the end of all of this. Still a very strong chance that Dublin don't get relegated. Like there is, It's not unimaginable to think that Mayo, Kerry and Armagh will be the top three teams in Division 1 at the end of all of this. They are the three teams that Dublin have played already. Arguably they've played their three toughest games. Getting them out of Croke Park may actually benefit them. I mean, if you had to pick a half of football that was their best so far would you say maybe the second half in Tralee was their best so far the a half out of six that wasn't played in Croke Park the game was already over though yeah like a, there was it's hard more, to tell definitely more to fight for in, in the Armagh Mayo games for sure but I just wonder if like Newbridge is actually going to suit Dublin a little bit over over the course of that match and, and being on the road may not be a bad thing for them and also the quality of opposition as I say may not be what it was in the first three games. So I, I still think that Dublin... The trouble here is that we're both so scarred by Dublin beating us in, in our respective counties at various stages that we've seen them be zombies in the past and come back. What is undead will never die. Yeah, well, obviously this is vastly different. It's There would be winning games where they were playing poorly in the past and now that the players are of a lower quality, when they're playing poorly, they're getting beaten because... Yeah, I do, I do. Uh, definitely, there's a, a narrative abroad that, oh, uh, it was all Jim Gavin who fixed everything that was like, no, it was Jeremy Connolly and Paul Flynn and Bernard Brogan uh, in their absolute peak. It, it was it was Michael Darren McCauley in, in his peak. The players that they had were all-time great players. It's like, it's like uh, you know, people always, oh, what would Brian Cody do if he was in charge of a, a lesser county? Well, we're seeing what he would do now. He would struggle the way everybody struggles. Gaelic games because there's no transfer market is entirely dependent on the quality of, of players that you have management is is definitely important but even the best managers take absolutely ages to get their players to do stuff like if you look at I think Geezer is one of the best managers in the country right what he did with Kildare but it took him ages to get to the point where they, they were conditioned the way he wanted them to be it's the same with this crop of Armagh players and again it's the age profile of those Armagh players is they're finally reaching their full flush of, of what it is to do Jim Gavin came in and was obviously a genius at organisation and uh, surrounding himself with great coaches and pushed the game further than it could go but like were Mayo that far away from them? Is James Horan James Horan is, is considered a failure because he didn't beat the greatest team of all time I just um, this, the narrative is that um, if Gavin was still in charge the Dubs would still be the team they were without all of the All-Ireland medals that they lost and I don't think that's the case I think that Desi Farrell's used 50 players it says in the examiner this morning I think that it would be a better version than they are of themselves. I do think that Jim Gavin is possibly the, the greatest Gaelic football manager of all time. I think it's very hard to argue against that. So, so Brian Cody was. Yeah. But nobody's making that case anymore because of what's happened with Cody since they're all like, oh, that was just the players. There's also probably a decline when it comes to managers, just like there are with players. Like there are peaks to a manager's career where you're ahead of the curve. And maybe we come, maybe in time it, it will just come to be that that. that Jim Gavin is, is one of the best managers of all time rather than the best manager of all time. I think he is. Time, I think that's it. I, I, but like, I, I, you know, the, the, Horan didn't have the same group of players. He, he looked to his bench and was like, oh, Jesus, I don't have five all-stars to come off my bench today. 
until the very end when obviously the players were at like 36, 35. Yeah, like, and, and I, th- I think that the. I'm Horn just saying, Desi's taken all the flack for the retirement of all those players or the unavailability of all those players. But if you put all those players back in the team, things would be pretty easy. That's, that's a huge factor. There'd be like, cohesiveness because they had 10 years of playing together. Like, and we, we can't completely write off the 2020 All-Ireland as well that, that Desi Farrell did manage to keep everything together. Every, no one gives it more zero like, credit for that. In fact, it's, it's possibly even used as a stick to beat him with. It's exactly. like, oh, you, you rode uh, the Jim Gavin's horse uh, and uh, that, that was it. That's how you got it. Like, I, I do think it, like, it's an interesting point you make about James Horne and like the, the second coming of, of Horne has... So was he the second best manager of all time then? Because he, he drove the best manager of all time to beat his team like in, in games that were actually 50-50 where they end up with the ball and the free kick in the last second. Like, like I, 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 I don't know. Like, I mean, Silly stuff about, oh, winning teams win. is like, that's not really what happens. Like, a lot of very important decisions go your way in matches. Yeah, like, in, and Philly's, Philly's column on Saturday was very interesting because I actually think that like, there, there was a lot of people who were quite sore after reading it, I suspect. But the male people. Yeah, but that's because there was a lot of home truths in what he said. But I do think that there is a key difference in the eras of Mayo that he's describing. That I, I do think the second coming of Horan has... Something has changed. And I know that that's probably a stupid thing to say about Mayo because... They lost again last, they lost again last year. And what will happen this year if they get to an All-Ireland final? But Dubs only beat them that year and Mayo scored two own goals. You're telling me that Dublin were this kind of automatic... Like, we, I think we, we we sit there and we go, oh, you won, you lost, you're a winner, you're a loser. Yeah. And that's it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, but like that's that, not that, what happens. No, like, but that's what, that's, what I'm, that's what I'm trying to say. I think bad that, Mayo culture that scored the two own goals. It's a complete random fluke. No, well, I, I do think... It's a random fluke. I don't think there was a bad Mayo culture that lost last year, for example. I think it was Colleen O'Connor getting injured, eventually caught up with them in an All-Ireland final, for example. No, no, no. They're losers. They're celebrity losers. And that's it, Owen. Yeah. And if you look for anything beyond that, you're a weirdo. Well, yeah. I, I did this, The celebrity losers thing was obviously Joe Brody's line. And I do think that... But that, everybody believes it. Well, like it has become shorthand. I, I, I do think, though, that I mean, when you read Philly on Saturday, he didn't like resort to calling Mayo That's celebrity what he, means. he doesn't, though. I actually Does don't. I actually don't think that. I actually came away from reading that piece that this is an excellent column, and there's actually a lot of what he's saying here. That's and not excellent oh, in the oh, head, headline oh, grabbing. Oh, I mean, oh, I'm sorry. I'm there's, no, there's a lot is, here that he's like giving us why. He's everybody's like, tuning in for that every week now. Hundred percent. Like, but but he's, I actually thought that there was actually decent enough reasons and like honest reasons why he thought that Mayo have come up short over the last little while rather than being like they're celebrity losers they're never going to win one I, I I really think that it was it was obviously it was honestly held beliefs from Philly in that column but I actually kind of came away with a, with a bit of a greater understanding I just think that what he was saying about Mayo I think actually behind the scenes something has changed the Mayo over the last little while just from what they're saying publicly we'll there, there was more James Horne is more like Jim Gavin now than he was in his first coming I, I think is, 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 is what I'm getting off Fair that enough. and I thought they were going to win the All-Ireland last year and they didn't anyway that's um I guess bit a bit of deja vu. Back to Dublin, they were not good on Saturday night. There was like some, someone like Ross McGarry is is a, a shining light for them in a, in a position that they needed a, a shining light in, and it's going to be a very very interesting few weeks. Like as somebody from Kildare, you must be licking your chops at the thoughts of Dublin coming to Newbridge. But I, mean, I, I do maybe think if we that got over the line against Tyrone from a winning position, there's just a little bit of game smarts, how to see out a game against like. That Tyrone team wasn't the Tyrone team that won the All-Ireland. Obviously, they had the four red cards and none of those players were available and they had some injuries as well. So it's right there for you to go and win that game and they didn't do it. So that was disappointing. Yeah, absolutely. Clear signs of progress from what they're trying to do. There's a discernible style and a pattern of play. But ball gets dropped into uh, Niall Morgan's hands. Like It's it's actually the the winning and losing of the game. There's just been a brilliant block on McCurry. He, He... 
throws a shimmy and then gets blocked down and Kildare go up the field and it's end to end stuff it's like a basketball game it's brilliant to watch under the, under the, in the conditions they drop the ball into Morgan's hands it's a tiny split second of relaxation mm. and the ball's in the back of the net eight seconds later like it was that's big boy football you get your big boy pants on and it didn't work they, they you know so that's the type of thing that you can you have to experience and that's why the squad coming through now that's why staying in Division 1 is like far more important than what happened in the championship this year I don't think they're going to be able to do it at this stage I think that was their opportunity to get those two points on the board and to keep rolling but it does feel like there's expectation on this Dublin fixture though it really does as if like well there's a chance there there's that and, and also the, the home factor which you wouldn't get in championship there's a like a many 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 years of hurt that are welling up inside and there's an opportunity for them to take it out but the you know I, I'm as I said what is undead will never die mm. like the fact that Dublin do have 50 players to choose from suggests that they have a bunch of players who are at the same level which is a way bigger number than most other counties which is still that like if the funnel can be it might take a little bit longer now because there were so many or so few opportunities for players coming through in, in recent seasons if that funnel just, if there's a clog in the funnel but the right players rise to the top over the next two months like you know, we don't know how good those players are yet. No, we haven't seen them. Like, I mean, the, the the chances are that a few of those players over the course of the next little while will um will, will come good, and and that'll lead to Dublin winning more Ireland and I don't think anybody's saying that this is going to be Dublin now wandering through the wilderness for for a long, long time. It it is for the next little while, and like it's it's interesting when we think about the, these sort of potentially these chaos years that we're entering in Gaelic football in general, with regards to unpredictability for all Ireland champions. This could either be the 90s, where we've got like a decade of like eight different All-Ireland winners, or it could be a brief pause like we had in 2010, 2011, 2012, where, you know, in football, sorry, where you have like, well, it was chaos years in both codes in the 90s, like where you have like Cork and Donegal picking up All-Ireland's grants with great teams uh, and Dublin getting one in the middle. And then out of that just grew this absolute machine in Dublin. We, We don't know, something similar could happen or we could be entering 10 years of... Madness, where if we, we, as I say, you could have half a dozen to, to ten counties picking up all Ireland. I don't know if you heard any of the Saturday panel on Saturday, but Paul Caffrey was talking about the negativity of the Dublin Football Championship and how it was just negative football that they were playing, which is out of sync with how the county game is going at the moment. It's more difficult to find players to fit a style of play that's going to be suitable for it. So I don't know. I mean, maybe maybe Dublin, like all empires, got fat and this is the period of like, oh, we need to have regeneration and, and um, remedial action and the rosebush needs to be cut back to the the stem and for the growth to come again. I don't know. It, like, At least there is some doubt about it when there hasn't been doubt about it. Given the resources that they have in terms of a playing pool, you would assume that they will fix it quicker than most counties will be able to fix it. How many all our, or how many managers of inter-county teams went to bed last night thinking we have a chance of winning Sam McGuire? And how much is it linked to Dublin? Way more than has happened at any point in the last decade, you would say. I would, I would say so too. I, like, I, I would say there's, it's in double figures. And like some of them may be completely diluted. But I, like, but I think I, it's all I, Division 1. And I think Derry must be thinking... Derry and Galway as well, yeah. Like, that we have a chance here. We actually, if we just go on a bit of a roll and the, the fixtures open up for us, who are we going to fear? Who are we going to fear? In, yeah. in what circumstances... Okay, we will game plan for everybody, but the teams who we we know have the ability to retain the ball against us for ten minutes, kill us, like goal scoring, rapier thrust. Where's that team? Kerry have it. Like uh, Clifford seems to be pretty good at football again. Mm-hmm. Shawnee Shea seems to be pretty good at football again. So, um, right, we need to move on. But 
the Dubs are in red and in crisis. If you're a Dubs fan, how 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 much of a crisis do you feel, or is it like actually, you know what? This is grand. We're we're reading everything you say. We're watching you. We're watching you. Uh, we'll quickly move through the other red here because it's uh, the Olympic Games. Like the Olympic Games have been in red forever, right? I mean, has it has it ever not been in red? Like this is this is nothing new. We're not we're not coming down here this morning to, to say anything new. But does this feel like? A kind of uh, a, a more insignificant, a more kind of grimly insignificant on a, on a sporting sense, and more a theatre of misery than it's ever been, or is it just recency bias? I don't know. Because uh, 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 do you, do you care about the bad stuff when the when the fastest, fittest people are up against each other, and it seems like they're on a fairly level playing field? Like do do. Do we not all have this great ability to have a split personality when we're watching this? The psychosis is, oh, I know that this is bad. It's like watching uh, Barcelona versus Man City or Man City versus PSG. Mm. It's amazing. It's unbelievable. It's awful and terrible and horrible. Because mm-hmm. it is grotesque. But it's beautiful. But beautiful. I feel the same frequently I feel the same about the Olympics it's like oh my god this is terrible and then the gun goes and like wow look at how fast they're running this is amazing yeah. no one's ever run this fast before oh it's over like yeah. that's that's why the and, sports washing works and and it's always been that way until yeah. you know last week when you have actual children crying on international television like I mean obviously the Valieva story has been has been covered very very well but, but even with the, the young skater Trisova as well like shouting at her coach saying I hate it I hate the sport I will never skate again never like I mean the identification of what's grotesque probably happens a long point before this but it does feel that a lot of passing viewers maybe their eyes were a little bit more open last week as a result of this like again it's nothing new that there is this kind of like murky political connection with, with the Olympics at, at every, almost every game and, and yeah, in every country yeah in every country uh, UK Team GB whatever it was all those goals in London do not pass the sniff test. Yeah, but I mean, of course, this is the the worst one of all because this was in China, and I'm sure Sochi is it was even worse than that again. There, both of those are definitely worse than than the London game. That's it. It's like what about Yeah, yeah. Exactly. No, but there. But you know, anyway. Just, just two things, just to bring up that, like, I mean, people might have missed this last week. For example, um, there was a, a Beijing spokesperson who did a press conference, and uh, somebody at a press conference asked her, uh, Yan Jiarong is her name. Uh, a question was raised regarding the IOC's position on reports of concentration camps and forced labour of the Uyghur population. And she said, I think these questions are based on lies. Some authorities have already disputed such false information with a lot of solid evidence. You are very welcome to refer to all those evidence and facts. And then she also waded into the area of of Taiwan. And uh, she said, I have to take a solemn position. What I want to say, there is only one China in the world. We are always against the idea of politicising the Olympic Games, which is, I mean, uh, hilarious after mentioning the idea of of, um, one China, which is quite timely when you look at Thomas Bach's empowering closing speech yesterday where he refers to the Olympic Games as something that gives us stronger than the forces that want to divide us. You give peace a chance, which I mean is, is deeply ironic given the, 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 the one China scenario is going to res- <laughs> the uh, yeah this, this uh, the, I don't know, the giving peace a chance and, and one China will result in a, a situation 
not unlike what we're seeing in, in Russia and Ukraine at the moment when China decide that Taiwan is, is theirs in a, in a little while and, and we have war on, on two fronts. So that's where the Olympic Games is at at the moment. More flagrantly awful than always, which is really saying something. Michael Jackson's Heal the World comes on and comes back. <laughs> Moon walks off, really capturing the mood with the single hand of diamond glove glistening in the sky. Yeah, bring MJ back. I mean, you know, like uh, if, if any organisation could rehabilitate the reputation of Michael Jackson, it is the IOC. Yeah, it really is. It really is. Uh, that is enough for the Olympic Games. That is, is our coverage of the Winter Olympics concluded. All right, Duffer Watch. We're going to do a Duffer Watch section every week just because it's box office. It is like there was, it was, it was awful that the weather was so bad on Friday evening and the conditions were so miserable. Um, but... I'm in. I'm in on watching Duffer week in, week out. I'm in on his press conferences. I'm in on whatever he has to say. I'm in on watching the torment of him after being beaten 3-0. This is like, this is somebody who was living this gig. We didn't get a chance to talk about um, the press section that he did last week where he talked about the housing crisis and being on daft mm. and emailing people and not getting answers back. Like, so he's trying to find accommodation for her. He's got a lot coming from Finn Harps. I don't know whoever it is. He's got a guy coming from Finn Harps who he said was working two jobs up there to come down and work one job and he's essentially taking a pay cut to live in the Dublin metropolitan area and I presume somewhere close to um, Chelsea, which is exactly where we live. And uh, you can hear the ground from my kid's bedroom because the windows are pretty thin. But anytime there was the goals uh, the other night when we were putting them to bed, they're like, what was that noise? It's like, oh, doesn't doesn't sound good. They're the away fans. Yeah, exactly. Um and I don't know, it just it feels like it's um it feels like it's something special is happening. And then hmm. what happens? They get beaten three 0 that that just adds to the intrigue as well, right? Because what are you doing after they get they lose three 0 You're not turning off the television, you're waiting to hear what Damien Duff has to say after after a defeat. Um which I actually thought that he was like, he was he was pretty okay with the performance, obviously not okay with the results. I think that was the, the main takeaway from Friday night was that this is a team that looked to be uh more than competent and they're just gonna struggle to get results because other teams have better players in them and it's Damien Duff has to now prove himself to be an excellent manager because he's got that extremely tough task of uh, achieving more than what might be to some of their parts. Like I, I don't I don't know if on paper, you'd have them as uh, in, in the, the bottom reaches of, of the table, but I presume that's exactly where their squad, in, in inverted commas, deserves to be. So, can he get more than their, their talents deserve over the next little while? If he can, then I think that's going to be a phenomenal story. But I also think that just Duff trying to figure his way out of a tricky situation is in itself fascinating. And as you say, the, the press conferences every week are going to be uh, appointment viewing. It's going to be on the back pages. It's it, it's a guaranteed avenue onto the television screens and onto the back pages which is something the league probably has struggled to get over the last little while yeah and you hope that, that everybody appreciates this as opposed to like oh, you know this is the bit where they break through to having public interest beyond League of Ireland fans mm. very important that that happens Jack Burns return also helping that a um, bunch of other young players the fact that there's another Rovers kid we already talked about this um, on trial at Hamburg it's like well that's so that's somebody gone from Rovers to City to Inter and potentially Hamburg in the last couple of years like well the system there is working mm. that's not a bad system it'd be great if they could play a couple of seasons for us in the league um, but yeah so that's this week's stuff for watch anything else Did yeah, you have like, a, is there anything that you want to reveal about your own Experience of this, no, no. Uh, experience of Duffer Watch. No, like I mean, looking forward to, to getting to see uh, see that team and talk this year. For me, it was it was uh, 
LOI late night with uh, with Nathan and and Johnny Ward on the sixteen bus. Was it as dirty as they made it sound? <laughs> Worse, dirtier. It was. Uh, let's just say that Johnny Ward is in the company of a lot of people uh, on on the sixteen bus. It was filthy. Uh, it was. Yeah. It was. It was. It was beautifully filthy. Uh, so I. I mean, I. I just want Johnny Ward on on the sixteen bus tuning or I guess phoning in live into LOI late night uh, every Friday night and um, I'll be happy I'll be like I mean you can get it back on podcast but this yeah. is our Twitter spaces it's a live show on Friday nights after the game finish and after we go off air on uh, Friday night off the ball so that's um, Duffer Watch at 3 Roy McElroy is at number 2 here in the green Roy McElroy is like he is fast becoming one of the most interesting characters in world sport when it was like maybe his golf game isn't going to be good enough to match what's going on at the very top echelons maybe he's not going to be top 10 player in the world maybe he's not going to really be contending for majors anymore it's like no actually you know what I am the the moral leader I'm I am I have become a moral compass after like so everyone's like oh he played golf with Trump and that, that comes up in our comments on YouTube all the time he, played golf, he did play golf with Trump and then he said he made a mistake and he wouldn't do it again it was something that he learned and he clearly engaged with uh, with the feedback and the commentary around that and started to just do a bit of reading outside. And it turns out they were all doing a bit of reading outside. It turns out Phil Mickelson knew exactly what was going on in Saudi Arabia. So if you missed this, right, last week, I don't know how you missed it, but maybe you did. It was last Thursday. Phil Mickelson uh, speaking to Alan Shipnuck. And Shipnuck's got a book out um, and this is the, the early extracts of it. Here is a direct quote from Mickelson. We know they have a horrible record on human rights. They execute people over there for being gay. Knowing all of this, why would I even consider it? Because this is a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity to reshape how the PGA Tour operates. They've been able to get by with manipulative, coercive, strong-arm tactics because we, the players, had no recourse. As nice a guy as PGA Tour Commissioner Jay Monaghan comes across as, unless you have leverage, he won't do what's right. When the Saudi money has finally given us that leverage, I'm not sure I even want the SGL to succeed. But just the idea of it is allowing us to get things done with the PGA Tour. He also talked about the uh, murder of Jamal Khashoggi and uh, he called the Saudis scary motherfuckers. Uh, In the meantime, what's happened is that all the other golfers have decided, not really, okay, so Phil's kind of blown our cover here. How can can we go? Bryson DeChambeau was the last, he was the last shoe to drop. Was like, oh, I'm I'm totally committed to the PGA Tour. I'm really interested in seeing what happens. Uh, Dustin Johnson, uh, a lot of speculation out there over the last while, but I'm committed to the PGA Tour. Uh, let's hear what Roy McIlroy had to say after uh, the Genesis at the weekend last night. I don't want to kick someone while he's he's down, obviously, but I thought they were naive, selfish, uh, egotistical, uh, ignorant. Um, a lot of words to describe that uh, interaction he had with Shipnuck. It was uh, just very surprising and uh, disappointing, sad. Um, and I'm sure he's sitting at home sort of rethinking his position and, and where he goes from here. Right. Good man, Rory. It's <laughs> I'm not dressing this, but I don't want to kick somebody while he's down, but boom, I've got my hobnails on and we're going for it. And he's right. Mm. You know, he's right to do this because what Mickelson revealed was that they knew what they were getting into. What All those golfers know what they're getting into when they go and they take the money from Saudi Arabia. They all now have been exposed as people who endorse the regime by taking the money. That they're not they're not innocent, they're not just there to grow the game and all that bollocks. What What he did was he said the quiet bit out loud. We're fully aware. We're taking the money anyway because it gives us leverage in this other thing over here, which is actually more important to us 
than human rights abuses, people being uh, executed for being gay or the murder of journalists. That stuff doesn't matter to us as much as the money matters to us. And Roy McElroy had said, no, I'm not taking that money. Ages and ages and ages and ages ago. Before the, before the figures became the... Like, so it's hundreds of millions they would have paid Roy McElroy to come out and say you know what I think there's a good opportunity here for us to be agents of change we can be we can be the David Hasselhoff of our generation but uh, no McElroy's like no I'm not doing that Hickelson was like yeah I'm going to do that just you know, maybe I will take it I don't know he was leaving open the possibility of it but then it was like no I, I always knew that we wouldn't take it it was just to try, try and screw over the PGA Tour here mm. so but fair play to Roy McElroy because he did not hold back like I mean, there, there is sort of like a, a a code on tour, isn't there? That like I mean, th- th- you're supposed to stay relatively pally. You're not supposed to, to, I guess, throw anybody under the bus. And I guess that's why there's such a, I guess, a, a, a vanilla tone around everything that they say. But like I mean, Rory McIlroy's completely changed that. Like I mean, Phil Mickelson's next press conference is going to be fascinating to see how he actually comes back from this. This was, yeah, like he kind of reached for every word under the sun there. Kind of like a, a, a grotesque, unbelievable, bizarre. Uh, unprecedented sort Stop of Stop it, he's already dead <laughs> uh, Yeah to, 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 to go after somebody like that It's incredible And It's almost as if McElroy has reached A number of different points Over the last couple of weeks Where he could easily have been Fairly self-satisfied He's like I said my bit and, I, and I'm okay I can sleep well at night And then he's kept saying more And he's kept saying more And he's kept saying more As if You know That he really does actually want To Wake these guys up to what they've kind of supported over the last little while and say, listen, this is just absolutely not good enough and we can't just let this sleep. And I'm sure he keeps getting asked about it, but he keeps delivering. And I mean, he's like, whatever Phil's going to come back with some, like there's a 50% chance that Phil Mickelson comes back with some sort of terrible dad joke uh, this weekend or whenever he's going to be in front of the press again. And uh, maybe that kills it, but uh, his, uh, his PR team will be working on something good right now, I suspect. They're going to earn their their money this week so uh, Roy McIlroy in the green could have put Phil Mickelson in the red but Roy McIlroy's uh, triumph in that instance is far more important than uh, Mickelson who else last one for us in green uh, Harry Kane Spurs that performance on Saturday and what was I would I think was the game of the season because of uh, like I mean it's it's easy to get carried away with the personalities in the sideline but Conte against Pep is is a is a pretty good encounter, and I know that we've seen a mirror image of this in the past. Like uh, certainly midway through last season, it, these two sides obviously went head to head, and Spurs kept uh, countering Manchester City. But this obviously just has so much more at stake. Liverpool fans kind of watching from behind the couch, seeing if Tottenham Hotspur can do them a favour as they try and get back into this title race, and they absolutely do. Harry Kane, is he number nine? Is he number ten? Manchester City didn't really seem to know the answer to that question, and he ran rings around them. There will always be a complete explosion of love for Harry Kane, especially in England when he does anything good. Did he get his move? But he, is this, his, is this a, his audition? Is like, come on, this is what you got to have. Door number two. Well, I think we all know that it's not down to necessarily him or to Manchester City it's might, be, might be next summer they might be able to force a move but maybe look maybe here's the thing maybe this what he's done here is given Conte and him a bond that is unbreakable yeah like I will say it's been one good game I don't think with the one good no, game no we're overreacting here what are you talking about but, come on <laughs> but sorry I, I, like, I mean obviously but does that change Manchester City's valuation of him I, I don't think so. I think that everything that Harry Kane did well at the weekend, he has done before. It was the first this time season. this season that, yeah. that he had done it. And the big problem with Manchester City last summer was that they wouldn't pay that amount of money because Harry Kane at that age is 
probably not worth 150 million. Haaland and Mbappe maybe, but Harry Kane's a lot older. The one thing that we can be 100% sure of is that Harry Kane is going to be one year older this summer than he was last summer. That's analysis for you. And uh, for that reason, how low will Daniel Levy allow the price to go? If it's not below 100 mil, yeah, I'm no, not sure Manchester no, City. It's gone back up to 150 after that. Yeah. OTBAM is brought to you by Gillette. Good morning. Start with Gillette at your best face forward with their new and improved razors. This is the performance rankings every week. We run them through from red, amber and green. If you want to get involved, you can send us your own ideas and we'll give away a Gillette starter pack a little bit later on. Luke says it's not a crisis, but definitely transitional period and it won't be fixed overnight. For Dublin. It won't be fixed overnight, but will it be fixed by the time they reach an All-Ireland semi-final against a team who previously they would have been expected to beat but who now fears them not so that's the big question for us how quickly can they turn it around John Claffey says I think the Offaly footballer should get a 28-0 victory for the cancelled game in Galway over the weekend I agree with that John excellent yeah, a great suggestion Rommel says Gilroy knows Kildare preventing Dublin Division 1 having an elite 8 team status at the moment with Galway and Derry on standby to replace them that would be 9 teams Rommel so screw you your match are no good McGove says Scales to Celtic also from Rovers correct yeah um, started last week scored and is getting enough game time for us all to be pretty confident that he's going to make the grade there as well and then Shane says no mention of Cavan's Jake Doyle Hayes scoring two goals for Hibs at the weekend more anti-Cavan bias there's a lot of anti-Cavan bias in the show it is, it's pretty disgusting well you're, well, you're not really a, a footballing county anymore you're more, more golf that's it really it's golf and running is the thing that, that's it they're, they're the two big things that's this week's performance rankings OTBAN's performance rankings with Gillette we've got Mark Lawrence up next stay tuned OTB at uh, 12 minutes past 8 time for us to turn our attention to the Premier League this week here on OTBAM and I'm delighted to say Mark Lawrenson is with us Mark good morning to you how are you? Good morning thanks We have a title race we're all very excited about this Yeah what a result that is I mean um, Harry Kane he's hardly, he's hardly played for the last three months and he suddenly decides to play his best form on the day they were, they were, they were good Tottenham but he was magnificent wasn't he? Was it was it a natural thing that after everything they went through in the summer that it was going to take him a time to get up to speed? Was it his motivation was gone when he thought that Nuno wasn't going to be a good manager? Is it was he not quite sure what he wanted himself? What's the explanation for the fact that he's back now? Well, if, if we could all look inside his head, we'd probably know. Um, I, I don't really know. I think one thing about it, it was obviously a, a massive game and. Correct me if I'm wrong, haven't, haven't Tottenham had a relatively good record against City in the last few years? Certainly certainly a lot better than most other teams. So maybe it just, it just turned him on, you know. Uh, City away, everyone writing um, Tottenham off, the, the, the card of this, what's happened to Harry Kane, he hasn't scored for four games, yard, yard, yard. But I think certainly, I think a lot of praise must go down to the, to the manager, Conte, because... You know, whatever they were going to do, they had a real go at Manchester City. And that just shows that, you know, that's probably the best way they can play. Because if you really seriously think about it, I mean, Son and, Son and Kane are outstanding footballers. So why wouldn't you try and create as many opportunities for the two of them and, and play in, you know, your opponent's half? Because they will win your games. And that's exactly what they did on Saturday. They actually really needed the points as well. That's if if they're mm. to have any hope of finishing in the top four, and you know, pre, before that game, if if we were all penciling in a routine two 0 win for Man City, which I think most of sure. the football world was, then they would have been ten points behind Manchester United with a, a bunch of games in hand. Fair enough, but now all of a sudden, like, are they are they actually a good shout for finishing fourth? 
<laughs> they've just improved the chances. Don't forget, it's Tottenham, and it's a bit. They're a bit like Arsenal. Um, they can be really, really flaky. Both both sides. Yeah, they can play some outstanding football. You know, win games, but then you know they go somewhere and, and get rolled over, and it's as though they hardly even turn up. So um, it's an excellent result. The only problem is you only get three points, whatever you do. But it was a, just an outstanding performance. But I think it's still a little bit. Watch this space with 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 both those two London London clubs. They're very very similar. At the same time, um, over the weekend, Manchester United seem to have come somewhat out of their funk in remarkable circumstances mm. against Leeds, where. It looked like all of the flakiness that we have come to associate with Manchester United in recent seasons was on full display. It goes back to two all, and you're like, "Oh, what's going to happen here?" But they yeah. did themselves out, and there's there's in game changes from a manager who seems to know what he's doing, and it just I don't know. You're like, yeah. I mean, I was I was there Tuesday at Old Trafford, and, and they were they were average to say the least. I mean, you you probably won't remember. You're not old enough, but I remember this fixture where you'd have you'd have George Best against Paul Rooney. Um, Bobby Charlton against Jack, uh, Dennis Law against Bremner, and Nobby Styles against Alan Clark. And I mean, it all kicked off literally. They'd be sending off, they'd be like topping each other, but the football would be fabulous. And this was <clears throat> this was a modern day, modern day sort of replay of the way that it used to be. But no, they were they were good Manchester United. But look, you know, the one thing about them is they just have real difficulty playing against teams who sit in because they are very, very much a counter-attacking team. But you know against Leeds that you're always going to create opportunities. And, and the games are very, very open because you can't play any other way. And, and, and by the way, um, they're, they're very, very, well, they're very, very poor at the back. And I know they had, I know they had injuries and stuff, Leeds, but they're just, they're just one of the most open teams in the league in terms of scoring goals against them. It was a proper old school game Scott McTominay mm. posted a, a photo on Instagram of his left ankle and it was completely battered at the end of the game obviously McTominay um, himself did a lot of battering and, uh, yeah I was going to gonna say that. yeah it was a soppy sod what are you doing that for it's called football it's what happens <laughs> well, what, what does he want I, I should say his caption was leads away proper game football emoji so uh, he, he clearly embraced it yeah, well, that's. I mean, you know, it's and obviously there's 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 that it's hatred be, between the two clubs, as everybody knows. And you know, I, I reckon every time you, you went out for a throw, and if you're a Man United fan, the abuse you must have got would be amazing. But I have to tell you, playing in games like that is is just fabulous. So, um, so really good result for Man United. I'd say they, they they got thrown Tuesday night by the skin of their teeth. They were outplayed by Brighton, but. It started to, it looks like with yesterday, but we don't know, do we? Because that's probably the first time they played what I would say 90 minutes rather than 45 minutes. So I don't know who they play next game, but it'll be interesting to see the performance. Atletico. It's uh, the two. Oh, yeah, I mean, I meant in the league. Yeah, yeah sorry. It, it, so yeah. It, they've got actually Brentford and Watford, I think, next two games. If I'm right, oh, well. Watford, and then it's Watford next up on on Saturday, and then it's the Manchester derby right. on on Sunday week. I missed the breath again. Okay, at the Etihad. So, um, it's like and like I mean, it, it was it yourself going through the fixtures thing. I think you've got Liverpool. Spurs and yeah. Liverpool as well in between, uh, in and around the second leg of the Atletico game. So that is all happening between now and like this day next month. So really, those six fixtures they define the season of Manchester yes. United. Yes, yeah, yeah, ab- absolutely. And <coughs> excuse me, I'm sure it's it's been a worry to the, to the manager Taranyuk, which is 
you know, go back to Tuesday in comparison to yesterday and first half Tuesday, well, they never had the ball. That's the first thing. I mean, uh, Brighton were really good at keeping the ball off them, but when they did get it, Manchester United, they kept giving it away. And there was that kind of thing at, at home. It felt like, you know, it was very, very strange for them to play at home. And whenever, when as soon as somebody makes a mistake, I think Harry Maguire misplaced a pass and it's like, ooh. And it can be difficult, that, because you, you really see if you've got to convince the supporters that, that you're on it. But yesterday, yesterday we'll do so. But as I say, we'll, we'll, we'll wait and see. And those fixtures are really, really interesting, obviously. So, and that, that, as you rightly say, will define their season. Mind you, Atletico, Atletico are, are having a poor run. They get beat at home by Getafe or someone like that the other day who are bottom of the league, aren't they, La Liga? There's a really good opportunity for them to go through and build some confidence and... You know, this this season could turn around for one of those teams that's going to finish fourth and think, yeah, we got out of jail there with a, a, a good squeak towards the end of the season. But any of them could go on a run of form at the moment. And you wouldn't be terribly surprised if at the end of the year we're looking back and going, oh, that was the, the moment that things changed for them. They put five good results back to back and that was it. They qualified. Yeah, yeah definitely. But then I would say probably you can say the same about Arsenal because they're a bit like that, aren't they? they? They have this, you know, they go out on a run and beat everybody as well but um, as I say that, that themselves and Tottenham flake it I've always said that I thought United would get there just because they've got however badly they play they will always get opportunities and of course you've got the Ronaldo fellow up front but you've just got some really creative players and some match winners as well apart from Ronaldo Who's the most flaky of those three clubs? Arsenal, Tottenham, and Manchester United. <laughs> um, I was, I would say Arsenal, because they always since since Wenger left, they've just been that way. It's, I don't, I don't know what it is about them. I mean, when you, when you consider the best of, of of Arsenal's teams under Wenger and you know Vieira and Petit and you know all those guys that, that the lads at the back, they were just completely different class to the team that they've got now and that's 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 in essence why the flaker they can be very good side and we've got some really good players but I don't think mentally that anything like as strong as that that former well the best the best team under Wenger definitely do, do you not think that like I, I guess this was obviously a repeat of the opening weekend of the season and that opening weekend of the season was a pretty grim one for Arsenal and if you take that point and you take the point that they were at on Saturday there is a notable upward graph and that includes things like bottle and grit and they yeah. are less flaky now than they were at the start of the season and that's yeah. all you can really ask for right yeah no absolutely they've, they've, they've definitely improved but they had a long way to improve and and they don't frighten you that's that's the one thing when you when you play against Arsenal now is that they, they don't they don't frighten you as a team you know they can have a 20 minute spell where you know, it could be untouchable but they, they do not frighten you it's the, you know the days of going to to Arsenal and playing away when you think crikey forget like a 2-0 defeat happy days get on the bus and go home but it's it's not that anymore and as I say Tottenham are very very similar Um, but Manchester United I would think out of the three would be the favourites to finish fourth I don't I mean West Ham just haven't got enough players and, and I don't really see anybody else I mean Wolves are going well but I think that's a massive ask for them as well like it does the constant leaks from the Manchester United dressing room worry you at all? I know that Manchester United have come out to say that none of the reports mm-hmm. are, are true and, and Ranick says that yesterday's result was the best answer to those possible things but you wouldn't be overly surprised if they don't get a positive result over the next couple of days that the response in the papers will be reports inside the dressing room say that they're unhappy with Ranick's methods etc etc. 
Yeah, well, you know, I think I think there are two points. I think I think when you get stories come out from the dressing room that are obviously, you know, anti, if for want of a better description, nearly always from someone who's not in the team, who's disaffected and obviously just you know tells his mate or his mate brings somebody at newspapers or whatever, some 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 something like that. Uh, results obviously uh, change all that, but also the fact that you know if there are some people in there who who just look at the manager and think, I'm not really going to play, he doesn't really fancy me. It it, it it can be, it can it can make other people disaffected because the other thing with it is that Randnick's going, isn't he, in May, when, you know, supposedly after the, after the last game, and players will sit in there and, and I'm afraid you have to bring money into it because it's, it's part and parcel of it. And they're saying, well, you know, it, it can't affect me, I'm not playing, he doesn't fancy me. But you know, I've got a great contract, and I'll wait till the next fella comes in and try try and prove to him that I'm in the team, which is completely wrong, as we all know. But that that's that that's the way that it is, and it just I don't know. I don't know about the dressing room, but um, I, I don't I don't think it's the best dressing room. And we always used to say at Liverpool, it's no it's no good having 19 teas and one coffee. That you've got to have 20 teas. So um, if some are pulling in the opposite direction, but they're not really playing. They've got to deal with it. The problem is now at the moment, as a manager, you can't, unless unless he, he kind of knows roughly who it is and just says cuts them off and says, right, you're training with the reserves. But I, but I can't see him doing that. Like I, I guess that is probably the one of the many issues that comes with having a bloated squad. Like I guess yeah. we can sit here and say, you know, Manchester United have cash to burn. They can, you know, t- take punts on players here, there and everywhere. But in the end, those players who are sitting on the bench or maybe not even making the bench that are part of that bloated squad are the ones who are going to be the problem. Yeah, well, I mean, he, he's let Van der Beek go to Everton. Yeah. As in, not saying that he was a problem, but uh, Martial's gone, hasn't he? Yeah. Um, Lingard, Lingard obviously didn't let go. So he, he'll, he'll, he'll have had the hump, Lingard, but he started yesterday, didn't he? Yeah. So, you know, he'll, he'll have had the hump as well. But um, I, think, I think the clever thing is that, and, you know, that's why Ferguson was was so so good in terms of keeping everybody together. Apart from the fact they were an outstanding team, as we know, and they had some world class players. But I, th- I think he was very much sort of he might have left. Just say he might have said to I don't know Fernandez yesterday. Look, uh, I'm leaving you out today because it's you know, it's going to be a scrap. It's Leeds away and all those kind of things. But you're playing in midweek against Atletico, and I think that's that's something that he did. And I I'm pretty sure that Klopp's a bit like that. And maybe even Pep, which is, you know, you leave people out, but then you then you then you give them, a, like a sort of say you're going to play in midweek, so it softens a blow, and you just instead of going away thinking the manager's an absolute tosser who doesn't know what they're doing, you think, well, I'm starting on Wednesday, which is, I think it's just a modern way at the moment. You mentioned Liverpool there, and while there is a tendency after Manchester City lose any game to kind of look at what's going wrong for Manchester City or why they've they've slipped to make this a title race, that just isn't true in this case. It, it is no. Liverpool absolutely keeping the foot on the gas at the moment, ensuring that any slight blip within 90 minutes of Manchester City will get punished. They're flying yeah. at the moment, Mark. Yeah, yeah, I was there and I was at the game on, uh, I was working on, on Saturday and in all honesty, in the first 45 minutes, they were ordinary. Right. Um, and then you're kind of thinking because he changed the, he made I think he made seven changes clock, and then you're thinking right wonder wonder if he'll change it at half time but he but he stuck with it 
But then he brought the cavalry on, which which he kind of did in Milan midweek. I mean, you know what I, you know me about raving about Thiago, but he just came on and changed the game. He just made it ridiculously made it look ridiculously easy. And as you saw the quality the quality of the goals, but Nor- Norwich were decent and and went for Liverpool uh, on the counter attack, and and you know Liverpool were a little bit all over the place, but. Um, the thing about it, what where are we? We're coming towards the end of February. And normally now, in your squad, you've probably got two or three players who are out with with kind of injuries, which might be, you know, certainly not just a couple of weeks, but long-term injuries. Just looking at Liverpool, I think apart from Jota, who now actually saying even he might be available for the Carabao Cup at the weekend, but they've got everybody fit. Joe Gomez appeared and played right back. They've got everybody fit, which for a manager... This time of the year, after all the games they've played, is really, really unusual. So you've got now with, with Liverpool, you, which you know you didn't probably didn't have for a while, everybody's fit. Everybody wants to play. And he's almost got two teams, which, as I say, for a football club at that level, it is, is amazing when you think about that. You'd still make Manchester City favourites to win the title. Yeah. It's a six-point gap. There's a game in hand. They still have to play each other as well. So... Uh, while you make City favourites, it is there for Liverpool. There is, it, it's, it's in their own hands to a certain degree. You know, they have to beat City away, yeah, we're all thinking. But I think the, the thing is, it's, it's always easier to chase. Always, always easier. It's, it's, it's when you're actually leading that it's, it's a difficult thing because you just need one or two to start thinking, oh, they might catch us, those kind of things. And then performances dip and... Basically, we just expect Liverpool and City to win every game, don't we? Because in the past, they've proven that they were capable of doing that. That's why this game against Spurs ends up being so important. Is there a, a blueprint? I know I know, no other team has the collection of players that Spurs have that are actually perfectly built for a counter-attacking game like the one we've yeah. just seen with Son and Kane. I, I understand yeah. that. But is there... Is there a bit of a blueprint for other teams to look at and go, we've got some fast players who can actually interlink with each other quite well at the top end of the field? Yeah, but have they got a cane on majestic form? No. I would, I would suggest no. And, you know, Son continues to be one of the most underrated players in the Premier League. And, you know, he's just so, so quick and such a clever player. So I, I don't see it. And I think, obviously, a lot of the teams... When they go to play City, uh, City obviously they, straight away they're thinking, you know, let's be really, really tight. Let's just sit in and let's stop them playing. But it's almost impossible. And also, they probably against most teams have eighty percent possession. And, and with the with the players that they've got, the creativity, etc., they will always make chances and and obviously generally win the majority of the game. So I don't I don't think there is a blueprint as as such for the rest of the teams unless it's a Liverpool when they go there because they could certainly play the way that City did Just a couple of other things to touch on Mark I mean you're talking about important runs and, and tough fixtures you look at Everton at the moment obviously they're looking over their shoulder big time at the moment after the defeat at the weekend their next two fixtures in the Premier League are Manchester City and Tottenham this is going to get more worrying before they start to get a sense of relief right? Yeah yeah. well look you know they, they've, they've always they, at the start of the season under Benitez defensively I know they had a good start first five or six games but defensively you look at them and they're all over the place so understand what Frank Lampard has 
done with with you know taking on Ali and and um, and Van der Beek etc. But it's their Achilles' heel is defensively. So you look at those two games that you just reeled off, and you think, well, they won't get any points from that, and maybe you know one or two of the bottom clubs might get another victory and and be sucking them in even more. I don't I don't think they will get relegated, and one of the reasons is not because of Everton, but because generally down the bottom of the league, you know, the, the, the teams that we're looking at will hardly win any games. I know, obviously, that um, that Burnley won away at the weekend, which is a fabulous result for them, and, what, and Watford won. But you don't expect any of those two, those two teams to go on a run. I think Norwich will go anyway. I mean, they started off, didn't they, just out the bottom three yeah. and actually played well at Liverpool. And are they, I don't know if they're rock bottom now, but they can't be far off. Yeah, like I mean, it's obviously Ever- Everton and Leeds would need to get dragged, and I think Newcastle's form at the moment probably suggests that they're going to go free. Yeah. It's, it's just, and I, and I totally agreed with you. I thought that the, the bottom three are ring fence; they're gone down. The relegation battle is over, and then it's just that that Burnley result at the weekend as well, which just gives you second thoughts. And Watford, I know yeah. Watford won as well, but Burnley, it seems, given that they've got a uh, record of getting out of these situations, nothing as grim as this, admittedly, in the past, and no. uh, the signing of Veghorst as well in in January seems to have been relatively transformative. Well, the, the only thing, yeah, and as good a, a result as it was for Burnley, you just look at them, they, they don't create many opportunities, do they? Yes, yes, we know they're difficult to beat and obviously that's shown by the by the um, the table because of the number of games that they've drawn. I mean, they're still very hard to, to play against, but it doesn't really look like scoring. I, I, didn't, I didn't see any of the game, I presume. As well as Burnley played, uh, Brighton had a hangover from the midweek game at at Old Trafford, so I think that I I've just said for a while that I, I think they'll go down this year, and I don't think behind the scenes at, at Burnley things are good, and I don't I don't mean on the football side. Um, we we know about this um, this thing, the financial thing, where if they do get relegated, they have to, they have to pay off sixty million quid. I mean, how the hell are they going to do that? And I just get the I just get the impression that as good as the manager is. I think, you know, the people running the club, they've gambled. And it seems as though they've just they, they borrowed all the money to, to buy the football club, which is unbelievably dangerous when it when it's somebody like Burnley who, who predominantly, year on year, struggle, struggle to stay in the league. Just one last one, Mark, just on, on Chelsea. Um, had they not... Well, I guess what the situation now, if you look at the table, is that if Arsenal and their two games in hand on Chelsea, they'll only be two points behind Chelsea. You can make a case that if things don't go well over the next little while they could get dragged into to making this two spots that are going to be open for Champions League yeah. football but one thing that's inarguable after the weekend is is Romelu Lukaku's performance on Saturday seven touches in the game against Crystal Palace since Opta started recording no player who has played 90 minutes has recorded fewer touches so they started recording 2003 so in those 19 years Romelu Lukaku's seven touches is the lowest in, in the Premier League it was a desperate performance in terms of not being involved and Tuchel didn't exactly come out to defend him afterwards. He was speaking on BN Sports and he says, no, no, it's not about the system. And he was asked to elaborate about the performance of Lukaku and he says, well, it is what it is. And it does seem that there was a little bit of beef that kind of came up between these two guys, obviously after his uh, Sky Italia interview around Christmas time. That doesn't yeah. show any signs of dissipating. This is this is a real problem for Chelsea. Yeah, absolutely. But, but you know, if, if, if we're saying that, he, you know, he basically didn't try a leg, but you know, did anybody create any chances for him? That 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 would be one of my replies. That you know, whatever you think about these guys, they love scoring goals. 
So what, why wouldn't you want to score? And I, uh, I did something the other day with with some of your colleagues, and I I just said, look, what about this? They were talking about you know um, Lukaku, and and they've talked about Kane, and I said, what about this swap in the summer? Lukaku goes Lukaku goes to Tottenham, play with Conte again, and and Kane goes to to Chelsea. I mean, I don't think it'll ever happen because you know they hate each other, don't they? Both clubs, but um, I was just looking at the way that. You know the two strikers were playing because before uh, Saturday, Kane, Kane had been struggling, as we know, and and you know we could almost say the same thing about him, which was you know was he thinking about last summer how he missed out, didn't go to City? Is he thinking about the summer coming up where he could possibly leave anyway at twenty nine, and and uh, Tottenham could still get a fortune for him? But um, I thought you know the, the swap for the two would have been would work for fun, but. I, th- I think the thing with uh, Lukaku that he, he'll be gone in the summer and, and Chelsea will obviously um, reinvest in terms of who they bring in. Yeah, uh, will there be a strong market for Lukaku after this again? Do people just write the season off? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. people will take him. I don't think there's any doubt about that mm. whatsoever. I mean, he was why he came out with that interview, I never ever know. I mean, we've, we've had this for years where somebody would go and speak to... Um, you know, like the French newspaper and, and, and think it would never, ever get back, you know, which is how in the world that we live in. It's ridiculous. And I, I really don't understand why he said what he did say. And, and and the problem is that, you know, it's not as open anymore, which sounds ridiculous, where if, if you were left out of the team, you'd go, you'd go and see the manager. You wouldn't go and see him straight away. So, you know, when it, after the name the team but you go and see him on Monday you go and knock on his door and he'd expect you to go in and just say Gaffer you know what, what's the reasons why did you leave me out and have a conversation with him and and if they're really clever managers in the end you, you'd kind of walk out the door and think you know absolutely believed everything that he said and he was right in, in, in what he said but they don't do it they just they go to the they go to the agents and they start crying to their agents and all that and then you know oh, let, let's let's do a piece in one of the papers and and we'll do it that way which is just it's absolutely ridiculous the grown men just go and see the manager and if you you know if you have a row with the manager you have a row with the manager and the thing about that is and the manager thinks more about you thinking standing up for himself and you know, I'll give him another chance. It, it, it is. It's, it's absolutely, totally ridiculous. This thing, Mark. Great stuff. Great to have you with us. Thanks a million. Thank you. Cheers. It's Mark Lawrence giving us some thoughts there on the situation in the Premier League. If you've got views, if you've got a comment on that, you can get it into us now on the YouTube stream, or of course, you can always uh, WhatsApp us 0879-180-180. OTBAM is brought to you by Gillette. Good morning. Start with Gillette. Put your best face forward with their new and improved razors. Most of the newspapers are uh, fairly similar. It's um, the goals from yesterday on the back pages and etc. Uh, etc. Et the uh, Elanga getting hit by a coin or a missile. It actually it wasn't a coin in the end, was it? I'm not sure. Um, there's a lighter. They picked up a load of lighters. There's a lighter hit him on the head and then he scores the goal and silences the crowd. So that's the back pages. We did want to play you this, though. Um, it's some footage from the uh, crowd at Cusick Park where in the Camogie yesterday, so a 2-6 to 4-point win over Clare in Division 1 of the Littlewoods Ireland Camogie League. This is... Um, a sideline fracas Mars Cork victory is the headline in the examiner this morning so the camera's just picking out Davy Fitz on the left there and he's walking towards a guy on crutches and the referee is calling them both over he's calling them both over and then they're kind of 
getting into each other. Now, we don't know if this is the, the start or the end of it, if there's already been something before this. But the referee is, <laughs> is separating them. Huh? Your man from on the crutches from Galway. Why are you recording? Why are you recording? <laughs> <laughs> that was that was one of the reasons why we wanted to play that video. It's like, well, because the whole country wants to see it. It turns out so. Uh, Davy Fitz, uh, I think, is sent off there. Sent off along with Clare Joint Manager Connor Dolan. According to Darrell Cahor and Kean Locke in the Examiner, the flashpoint came five minutes from time when the pair clashed on the sideline. Fitzgerald told the Clare Echo. Absolutely delighted with the result, but a, di- a bit disappointed with what happened on the sideline. I don't think that there was any need for it, but that's the way it goes. It's not a great look when two men are overshadowing what's happening on the field of play in the Camogie. I think they should all just reflect on that. That like, they're not really there to be box office, are they? They're not really there to be the centre of attention. They're supposed to be there to help grow the game. But instead, something interferes with their uh, growing of the game and they become the story. Now, what is it? What is it that forces them to inject themselves to the centre of the story? What impact do they think that has on the result? They're, they're, they're out there dying for the team? That they're, they're winning the game for the team? Or are the players winning the game? Is it just ego that's getting in the way of this? Is that is that what what you'd have to you'd have to reflect the 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 two men getting sent off while the women are out there playing? Like, come on! Like the move to Komogi uh, is probably uh, at the time looked like something that that Davy was doing to take a step away from the spotlight. Also, not manager of the team; he's he's coach, so not not exactly the. The, the head honcho in this operation as well possibly suggests a move away from the spotlight as well and uh, lo and behold a couple of games into the season uh, Davy Fitz is back in the spotlight it's uh, it, it it tends to happen and uh, I mean this this time of year uh, Davy's obviously got himself into hot water in the, the past it was a National League game wasn't it where he ran on to the pitch to, to shoulder the temporary player those few years ago so um, these things these, these things t- tend to happen when, when Davy's involved alright and it's it, what are you doing? I'd, I'd, love, I'd love to know what sparked it because, it, like, I mean, it doesn't really matter, though, does it? Like, well, you know, as, as, as a pure sort of uh, voyeur, you know, just to, to, yeah. I mean, okay, fair enough. Out of nosiness, out of nosiness, complete nosiness. Like, I know that that person there was like, "Why are you recording? Why didn't you start recording? Start recording sooner, sooner, please." Love of God. Eight forty-one this morning. Let's turn our attention to the weekend's uh, men's Gaelic football, and I'm delighted to say Anthony Moyles is with us. Anthony, good morning to you. Morning, gents. How are we? Kerry, the best team in the country, right? We should we should not be burying the lead here just because the Dubs are in crisis. Uh, they certainly look that way, Ger. Yeah, yeah, they certainly look that way. Um, very impressive again at the weekend. Uh, although, you know, Donegal didn't offer them a whole pile of resistance, to be honest with you. Um, it felt like Donegal would have rather played against the Breeze in both halves uh, than actually actually have to force themselves to kick the ball uh, with the Breeze. So, yeah, Kerry were, you know, effective, efficient, uh, did what they had to do. 
you know, a little bit of a sticky patch. First 15 minutes, Donegal just held on to the ball um, and they were trying to kind of, you know, set themselves up. But then, uh, that's Kerry, they were trying to just kind of thinking that they would come at them, but actually they didn't really. Donegal were just trying to obviously waste as much time as possible, um, which, was a, which was a decent enough strategy at the start. But once Kerry pushed up onto them and pushed up on the kick out um, and really forced the turnovers, they got a, they rattled off a number of scores. Got a bit fortuitous with, 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 with obviously Clifford's goal but they really could have had another couple of goals, uh, Ger, and and they and they, you know, they would they ran out easy winners in the end. It does feel that we're not learning a whole pile new, though. Like, I mean, that maybe that's just the nature of the league. Maybe it's because it's Donegal, as you say, we're pretty content to keep ball in the first half. They don't have Michael Murphy. It's impossible to kind of uh, properly judge them either. But it does feel that on paper, this is the best team in the country that will need to prove that they can do it later in the summer. So how do they find out some of the answers to that question when it comes to the bottle of grit at this point in the year? Uh, I think, I think you know, all they can do on is that old adage is, you know, beat whatever's in front of them, really. Um, and, and you know, if you, if you look at what they're doing, I t- like, I mean, look, the conditions were absolutely shocking. You know, they were shocking for the whole weekend. You'd, you'd kind of question, really. I know they had to wedge games in, but you really question, like, I mean, pitches may have been playable, but... You know the 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 fair that was on show in most of the situations was was shocking, and it's very very difficult to play Gaelic football with a breeze that's blowing, and and that's on both sides. People think, oh, you have the wind behind you, but of course, you know, you kick a ball up in the air, the wind catches it, and and, and it goes forty yards over a guy's head or goes out over the sideline, or you know, there's it's it it's it it it's it was. You know, it's 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 very very difficult to try to play and try to, you know, be effective, especially if you're a specific team that plays a specific type of game. On Kerry, I thought the defence were very very good. I thought they were very solid. Um, they transitioned the ball very well. I t- O'Shea was back in his normal position and his most effective position, which is running the line at eleven. Um, I know we'll talk about Dublin later, but that's that's what Dublin are missing. They're missing a guy who doesn't want to just come and take off easy ball. He'll win that hard ball running across the line of the half forwards and then he looks inside for passes um you know they you know they, they, they were able to keep Clifford in reserve I thought Paddy Clifford had a good game um they had to move and they had to run and they had to put in a fair shift against Donegal because Donegal will, will you know a high energy you know lots of runners coming off angles um so you have to be effective against that and you have to try to break that down and stop it which they did so look I wouldn't be necessarily worried I'm not saying you are worried. I doubt you are worried. I think you're just trying to play it down on. But um, I, I think they've, I think they've shown plenty already. And and in the dirt and in the mess and in the wind and the rain, they were still able to pick off some great scores. And they probably, honestly, they could have won that game by ten or eleven points. Um, you know, I know Donegal had a bit of a spurt, but 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 they put the, took the foot off the gas. I felt. Um, uh, and as I said, the question marks which we had last year over their defence, their defence seems to be much more organized much more in in, in in communication with each other you know they're they're very well set up down the middle they're not leaking goals um and uh you know again they're a team that are coming um and and i think o'connor is doing a good job in the sense of he's resting certain players he's giving guys little bits of breaks um and i'd say he's going to time his rum he thinks so hopefully as effectively as possible 
Yeah, I think so. Like I mean, you mentioned the conditions there. Like I think there is something beautifully chaotic about this time of year where you are seeing things happen that you wouldn't see any other time of the year. Like Sean O'Shea with the breeze at his back is is like uh, a racer in Mario Kart after they've driven through one of those magic mushrooms. He just they, it completely goes to a different size altogether. He's, he can score from 50 yards. That The wind is detrimental if you're playing against it, but it also allows players like him to, to do stupid things really, which are which are pretty magnificent. Yeah, he was he was he was pretty imperious yesterday. Uh, they tried to stop him a number of times, and like I mean, he's obviously you know the size and bulk and and, and everything else he's added on uh, over the last kind of couple of seasons. Added in that into obviously his unbelievable ability. He's he, he's a scary situation. Uh, he gave Brennan an absolute torrid time. I felt sorry for him because you know you're standing there as a six. You've got a guy who's been handed the ball you know nicely uh and he's taking you on he's turning you inside out and uh he's able to he's able to solo away from you in those conditions and like brennan's no slow coach um but it was just you know it's it's one of those ones where uh you know you're you're you're, <laughs> you're praying that you can just hang on as a player um unfortunately he got he got substituted but i think it was i can't remember who came in for him he tried to get very physical with him um and that didn't work out either because uh you you know, as I said, O'Shea is well able to handle it both ways or whatever way you throw it at him. Yeah, that's what they're learning, isn't it? That, that defensive cohesiveness, the, the, the patterns that this current management team want them to play, that it's just not the same as last year. That's all they need to get from this league, is it? Well, like, it's funny, you know, like... <laughs> There's always this myth about Kerry, you know, that Kerry are really nice footballers and 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 that they don't give it to you and they you know they won't have a nasty streak about them. Like I mean, that that was always the kind of thing that was going on for for many a year. But like any time we played them, Kerry would give it to you and 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 would start it with you as much as as much as end. Um, like I mean, they had no bother taking certain players out. They had no bother. I remember in in the in, in the O nine semi uh, when we played them. <clears throat> I remember Brian Farrell got a broken nose within about. 10, 10 or 12 minutes I remember Nigel Crawford was taken out like I mean look it's all part of the game but there's this idea I think in the last number of years that Kerry team came up against the Dubs in Crow Park and maybe they didn't they didn't shy away from the nasty stuff and and the, and the, and the stuff where markers had to be set down but they just didn't win those battles um you know i think i think the the ferocity of it maybe and that kind of side of it they, they lacked a little bit they had all the skill they had all that and of course but you have to remember clifford and o'Shea etc were very very young now these guys are in their pomp and all of a sudden, they've added that physical size. You can mean when those guys are, are going to the gym and they're going to extra stuff, um, and when they're in training sessions and they're clipping off each other, they know themselves that they're stronger, they're fitter, they're more well able for the for the for the I suppose the um, the wear and tear of of both the league and the championship. And now they're really starting to play with their chest out. So the, the scary thing for the rest of the country is, Jer, is that they're now well able to handle it. If you want to try to psych them out or you want to get physical with them, you want to start grabbing them, you want to start doing like I mean you're you're grabbing men now who are six foot four, six foot five. And I had to laugh. Like a lot of the Donegal lads were doing it and they were looking up at a Clifford on O'Shea <laughs> when they were doing it. You know, so yeah. you know, you're kind of saying to yourself, mm, this wouldn't be too bad if I was doing this with a fella who was five foot nine 
fine. But when I'm now dealing with this individual who's who's a beast of a man, um, you know, it, it makes you it makes you think twice. And and not only are they just big, but they're obviously big and unbelievably talented and well able to play football. So they're, they're mixing it very, very well. And O'Connor will bring that backbone into them. Um, and I'm not saying they didn't have the backbone. I'm just saying that at certain times, you know, they, 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 that part of the game, um, they seem to be a little bit deficient on, whereas other teams were a little bit better. So, But I think the, I think that part of the game is the big change for me. Um, and I, I, they seem to have really grasped it now over the last, uh, last 12 to 18 months. Yeah, it's a dream time to be getting that job as those players who are generational players come to an age where, as you say, they're in their pomp and they're going to be in their pomp for the next couple of years. So carrying us, we feel themselves a good bit at the moment. Let's talk about the, the Mayo team before we talk about Dublin. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we, we've, we've talked about Mayo reaching All-Ireland finals but not quite being ready for it yet. And I don't know if they'll agree. Last year they probably were ready for it, but just... Um, they didn't handle the game as well as Tyrone did on the day. You wouldn't say there's a huge gap between those two teams. Um, where are they now? What, what's the scenario this season? What what should our level of expectation be, having seen them come up and just handle business against Dublin and Croke Park? Yeah, you know, I, I'm always wary with Mayo um, because the hype train just literally goes from 0 to 60 in about two seconds. Um, and, you know, people can just jump on. And then, there's, of course, there's always that level of expectation that they ultimately will fail. So it's always it's always tinged with that. But, you know, I saw two sides to them on, on, on Saturday. You know, um, I think I think. They, they, they're, they're trying to again unearth some players that they need to add into that squad okay so like I mean I look across the guys who played on Saturday night um, and I didn't see anything that was majorly different um, and a fella who was really putting his hand up I, I, I just didn't see it um, I saw you know the guys who will be there in the summer um, doing what they do uh, and doing it very well so when I'm talking about I'm talking about Keegan I'm talking about Mullen I'm talking about Ruan um, um, Dermot O'Connor, he obviously is, is a massive bonus back. Henley and goals, um, but I didn't really see a massive amount of of of, of new talent. Um, and as I say, really putting their hand up. Now you might say, well, isn't that the same across many as a team? But really, all you're looking for is you're only looking for one to two players. That's all you're looking for to really bring into a championship squad or your championship starting 15 you know if you have to bring in four or five fellas you, you know you're under pressure um like they, they did handle dublin well jared but at the same time i thought i thought that you know i don't know we we'll get on to dublin but I, I i didn't i don't think i thought they would have handled them better right you know there, there was there was a couple of situations where they got i thought fortuitous um you know the goal the first goal which was the hand pass Dermot O'Connor flicked it up and hand pass over the head Lee Gannon just made a bit of a mistake it was probably his only mistake to make all night he's a real fine for Dublin um and you know he went to the ball rather than tracking the runner um and they got in and and, and then the next goal which was I thought you know O'Connor I don't know if he meant that ball in uh, I think he slipped as he kicked it and it just managed to get past the defender and then once that happened Dublin were opened up um but again you know, Dublin probably could have got a couple of goals. They certainly should have had them in the second half. And I think it may have changed the outcome of that game. And then you'd be kind of scratching your head and saying, as a Mayo, you know, team, well, 
we came up here probably with a bit of confidence. We're playing a team who are really low on confidence and are trying to find themselves, and yet we were beaten or we drew. So it, it, it's really thin, that, that flip um, about the psyche. I think, I think Horan will know that, you know, when he looks at his forward line, they didn't really shoot the lights out. Um, they didn't really grab many scores. Uh, you know, like, I mean, O'Donoghue was, was, yeah, they were all buzzing around. But no one was really threatening uh, uh, that full back line. I thought, um, like a couple of the, a couple of times they opened them up. It was more fortuitous uh, than I felt than than really by you know by kind of clever strategy and 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 thing. Like I mean, I think they got seven or eight scores from the goalkeeper and the and the and from the defenders. And and Ruan, of course, tagged on a few. But Ruan, if you if you also think of that. Brian Howard was marking him for the first half and was dropping off him. So he was actually given very much the freedom of the, of the field to attack. It was a different story when Fenton moved on to him in the second half. Um, you know, his effectiveness of the game and his ability to go forward went out of the game. Um, so, look, it's are, are they in a good place, Jared? They're, they're okay. They're good. You know, they'll feel okay. They, they know they have players to come back. Um, and, and, you know, he probably needs to, as I say, unearth one or two uh, full-back yeah, did well. I felt um, their defense was okay. Their defense was good. And I, like, I mean, the standout guy for me, like Gannon on the far side, was Plunkett. He came up and he kicked two unbelievable scores, really, really well settled, stuck them over with his right foot, and he was a bit of a force to be reckoned with now going forward. So that's the type of thing that Horan will be looking for. Um, and again, it's another win over Dublin, so he ticks that box uh, and, and he marches on. What about the dubs then? We we had this conversation a little bit earlier on when we were putting them in the red in our performance rankings. There's, you know, we're kind of uncertain doing it at one level because, uh, as I said earlier, there's zombies. That which is undead will never die, and there is a bunch of players still to come back. They do have massive numbers, if not quite strength and depth just yet. But from what you're saying there, that like Desi's not going to be as worried after this as maybe he might have been after the first two games, in some respects, that they're starting to find some players. They're starting to develop some patterns. OK, it's hard to, it's hard to distinguish after a performance like that, but um, listening to you, I, I get the sense that you believe there's something about this team or there's still room for this team to grow and layer it back in some all-time greats. I watched it twice, Jer, um, and I went back on it numerous occasions on on, on certain things that happened and, and big big things that happened during the game. Um, I, I thought they were much much better on Saturday. Um, I think as a management team, when they look back, they'll see one. You know that old that that American football saying, which is you know run to the ball. They they ran to the ball hard. They chased hard on Saturday night. They chased Mayo down. They were they were back to really busting the gut, getting back back. Whereas I saw other teams not doing it as as effectively. Certainly when you go down to divisions, that that's very much true. But I thought they really really busted the gut on that. I thought their defence was much much better. I thought Gannon was excellent. I think he's an excellent find for them. Um, I think they brought an intensity to it that they hadn't brought in the first couple of games um, and, and it was a different game it was totally different from the Armagh game like there was hits there was there was physicality on the ball um, I thought the midfield was better I I and I thought their pattern of play and how they defended was much, much better. Okay, they, So they stripped and they turned over uh, Mayo on numerous occasions and they just looked more solid. Their issue is going forward. 
so their issue is actually the half forward line I feel Kilkenny had a great game he attacked and he, and he and I think he scored three points and he put an awful lot of responsibility on his shoulders but Bugler has been going really well, but I think he was a little bit caught out the other night. Uh, he seemed to be changing sides, which I don't think necessarily suit him. But I think Scully, Scully and Howard for me, Scully, Scully has this thing where under Jim Gavin, he played a very, very important role where he would slow the ball down and he would he would observe and, and kind of view what's going on. And then he would inject some pace or he would bring it back down. He was a kind of a tempo guy. But I don't think he realizes or maybe he's just not being told that this new Dublin team are not about that. They're actually about quick tempo all the time. They're about trying to get the ball into the full forward line fast. And. Um, and what's happening is they're getting caught between two stools a lot. They're kicking it long when they shouldn't be kicking it long. And they do it an awful lot from set pieces, which which really makes me, you know, kind of scratch my head when the team, the opposition team are set up and they're sending in these long balls rather than doing it, as I said, when a ball is coming out of the fence, they have someone in their half forward line who wins it, a small little pop pass off to someone and that's delivered in. That's what they're really missing. Kilkenny doesn't necessarily give you that you see on the half forward line. Like Kilkenny is more of a guy who will take the ball on he'll come at angles he'll take a man on but he doesn't deliver passes in like say Shawnee O'Shea or like say Alan Brogan in 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 in, in Alan's day like uh, they're missing an Alan Brogan type they're missing a guy who can get the ball at 11 get his head up and deliver those passes um because I thought I thought young McGarry in, in full forward was doing really well um I was very surprised at him being taken off maybe he was injured um like Dean Rock Dean got six out of six or I think I think or five out of five he, he'll do what he does but again they they need they need someone inside and they need someone delivering that ball inside. So that's where I think there's a there's a break, right? And that's where I think they're really going to have to work on. Now, of course, have they got the players to come in and bring that for them? They certainly have, you know. And I think with O'Callaghan to come back, with with Paddy Small to come back, uh, with James McCarthy to come back, with O'Gara, uh, um, uh, not O'Gara. Um, the the halfback uh well you've McDade and you also have the 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 other halfback the speedy halfback to come back you know they've got they've got ample talent and guys who have that ability because if you if you think of Dublin a couple of years ago they had that speed where they were coming running from the half back line at massive pace running towards the fences and then either popping passes off or doing that backdoor cut they don't necessarily have that anymore they've gone for a lot of size in that half back line like McMahon is a big man uh, uh, um, as is Lehif. They're big men. They're big physical men on kickouts. But they're not giving you that breakneck speed that McCaffrey used to give you yeah. uh, um, or, or or indeed McDade. Um, so it's a slightly different thing and it's a slightly different setup. They're looking to kick the ball more. But, but as I said, they're just not getting that ball delivered inside for me either quickly enough or, or well enough but you can you you can see that being worked out over the next 10 weeks uh, let's move on because we'll come back to them obviously week on week uh, they're, they're going to yeah. be a big story for us here's Daniel Flynn talking with Ashley O'Reilly after Kildare's one point defeat to Tyrone have a, have a watch of this Daniel tough conditions out there today how would you sum up the performance for Kildare um, yeah tough enough um, it's very sloppy through the middle but pitch held up actually considering the weather so um, it was a good game I thought all in all very evenly matched um, probably a shooting let us down today um, we had a couple of goal chances there towards the end of the game and didn't go in and maybe the last 10 minutes in the first half we were a bit wasteful as well so came back to haunt us in the end 
and in the dressing room after the game what were you thinking were you thinking we left that one behind us because there was chances to win it um, yeah definitely we're disappointed coming out of here like you know mm. um, like that we, we put in a good shift um, done ourselves justice but just couldn't get over the line in the end so we're disappointed leaving but um, look happy, happy with the performance and the way we're playing and trying to play just yeah the end result didn't go well yeah, it's interesting to hear. Um, there was definitely uh, parts of the performance that were excellent and then parts of the performance you just think just a little bit of game smart. So there was a free they won with about 10 minutes to go when I think they might they might have been a point up still and um, the referee moved it forward about 15, actually he moved it forward about 20 yards to be honest. And instead of calling the keeper up to kick it, which he had just done, they took a quick one and get turned over and you're like, just kill a minute here. What Tyrone would have done was they would have pulled their socks down, found a, an imaginary uh, contact lens, had a little bit of a scrap, pointed over to the sideline, and the, the keeper comes up and gets his breath, kicks the points, two points in it, and it's like, well, that's how you that's how you win these games. And it's just a, a little bit of uh, inexperience at this at this elite level they're at at the moment. Yeah, absolutely, hundred percent agree. There was another one if you remember where um, uh, Woodgate intercepted a ball. Uh, and took off like a hare um, and did really, really well and was flying away and then kind of spilled it. And instead of just recycling and bringing it back out after going 50, 60 yards up the pitch, he tried to kick it across with his right foot across the pitch and nearly worked out but got intercepted. And that ends up coming down and Donnelly kicks a point from it. Frank Burns um, gets it. There's two Kildare lads around him and he's just like, no, thanks very much. This is where correct. I get my man of the match award. Yeah. Absolutely, yeah, yeah. And brilliant by him. But as I say, it ends up, I think Richie Donnelly comes down and kicks a score. So they're the small little things that, again, you know, Glenn Ryan and Anthony Rainbow would be looking at on the video and saying, listen, fellas, in these situations, this is what we have to do. Now, you know what? He, the rush of blood to the head. He's in Newbridge, the crowd roaring. You can hear it. But, the, but, that's, but that's where those game smarts come in. They were very good, Jared. Like, I mean, you know, it's my first time seeing them this year. Um, you know, up close, I suppose, and 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 I was very, very impressed by the new guys that they have. Um, I thought they were excellent. They do rely a little bit too much on Flynn uh, in the forward line. You know, he he's involved in pretty much everything, and he, and he's that type of player. He can do something absolutely brilliant, and then he can do something shockingly bad. Um, now he needs to start. If it's out of 10 and he's getting 10 balls, he needs to be thinking, right, this can't be a 60-40 situation. This has to be an 80 or a 90-10, you know, an 80-20 or a 90-10 situation. I have to just, I don't have to do something spectacular all the time. I just need to maybe lay a ball off and go on a loop and then come again. Um, because as I said, he did some great things in the first half, but then kind of went out of it for a long, long period, um, you know, and, and then kind of came back bursting onto it again and then kind of went out of it again. Now, in saying that, look, he's a talisman, um, but he certainly needs other guys around him. Um, they're, they're, they're being very, very effective. I think they've got some nice players. Flynn in midfield was excellent, I thought. I thought he had an absolutely savage game. Um, they've got a really good guy in, in, in I think it's Hulahan in, in cornerback. Very, very good player. But it, it was a little bit, I thought the first 45, 50 minutes was a little bit, they, they needed to probably put a couple of Tyrone lads back on their, uh, on their arse, you know. Uh, I thought even for some of, the, some of the scores that Tyrone got, it was just a bit 
it was just a bit friendly, shall we say, the uh, the tackling. Okay, now near the last 15, 20 minutes, I think they increased the intensity, and you could see that at the start of the second half, they increased the intensity. The lads obviously got into them, um, but Kildare love as well kind of similar to, to well they're not exactly similar to Donegal but they love to run with the ball as you, as you well know and they love to come off the shoulder um, and, and in Newbridge they, 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 they really wanted that I think look they've, they've done very well they're acquitting themselves excellently um, and they were very very unlucky I thought they deserved at least a draw out of that game to be fair um, um, and they were unlucky but I think there's lots of learnings for them um, and, and you know they're coming and they've obviously players to come back uh, and, and you know, to be fair to the lads and the management team, they're giving some of the fellas tryouts and uh, uh, they're scouring the county. So, um, yeah, things are things are looking bright. Yeah, we're not going to get too carried away because obviously uh, the mighty dubs are waiting for all of us in the long grass. For the first time ever, the grass is growing in Dublin, it seems. Uh, Anthony, great to have you with us this morning. Cheers. All right, Jared. Thanks a lot, Dad. Anthony Moore is there giving us his thoughts uh, on a couple of games this weekend. Obviously, we will do power rankings this week. Next week? Yeah, why not? Yeah, okay. It's coming. If you, if you want to influence him, slide into his DMs. He loves that. Uh, OTBAM is brought to you by Gillette. Good morning. Start with Gillette. Put your best face forward with their new and improved razors. It's six minutes past nine this morning. This weekend at GA Congress, the Gaelic Players Association have put a motion for equality on the table as they call for the GAA to integrate the three main Gaelic Games bodies. The GPA motion asks that the GAA prioritise integration with the LGFA and the Camogie Association in order to jointly ensure equal investment, recognition and opportunity for all genders to play all sports in the Gaelic Games family. I'm delighted to say the Equality, Diversion and Inclusion Manager, Gemma Begley of the GPA, joins us right now for uh, us to have a chat about this. Gemma, good morning to you. How are you? Everyone, how's it going? So what... what What's your instinct about the motion and how much support it's garnering out there from the delegates this weekend? Uh, yeah, I suppose it's it's hard to, to expect anything other than the than the unanimous support. I suppose is um, it's been very positively received, um, and I suppose it's for many years now everyone has has uh, indicated positive intentions towards integration. So I suppose this is really just. Uh, a prompt towards some action um, you know there's probably enough talking about it at this stage um, so it's, it's really what the outcome I suppose we're, we're hoping I suppose that it's, it's passed fairly unanimously and it's really what comes after that is the, the big challenge Yeah what does that look like what, what comes after? Uh, I suppose what we're really hoping for and, and a, a, a Tom had mentioned it in, in the statement released last week it's really a plan an action plan um, something tangible timelines, um, a bit of accountability. Um, I suppose at this stage, the three NGVs have indicated support for it. Um, but that's probably been going on for 20 years now, I think, since since um, maybe Joe McDonough's group first initially talked about it. Um, and successive presidents over the years um, have had good intentions, as I say. Even um, in Tom Ryan's most recent comments in his annual report, um, it was obviously indicated that there was unanimous or there was um, overwhelming majority of support amongst the, the membership surveyed. Um, we've had, I suppose, ninety-seven percent of players have indicated they support this, and it's the way forward. Um, so, I suppose, how do we translate that now into action? Um, we want, I suppose, uh, that's what we're calling for: is an action plan. Um, a real commitment to it. I suppose something really tangible would be some kind of joint statement from the, the three NGBs um, committing to it and, and saying, I suppose, that they want to achieve it by by a certain date or 
um, that there's there's possibly a joint committee going to be convened, maybe with an independent chair, something like that, something tangible to move us along um, and so that we're finally seeing action on it. Is there a concern that there's going to be job losses? What 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 are the? Can you tell us what you think are the main barriers here? What has slowed this down? Um, to be honest with you, I suppose that's one of the challenges. There's there's just a vacuum of information about about where where this has been held up, um, and that's what we're all trying to maybe read between the lines or or to, to figure these things out ourselves. I'm not sure, to be honest with you, what the barriers have been. Um, hopefully, I suppose, we're, we're nearly moving beyond that point. Um, at this stage, uh, I suppose there's always a perception, possibly, that um, maybe LGFA have held that up, and, and some people would say rightly so. I don't know what the GA, what terms and conditions the GA have, have sort of put on the table before. Um, we're, we're not privy to that. There's no, I suppose, public consultation on it, if you like. Um, but I suppose that's that's probably fairly redundant nearly at this point. Um, Sport Ireland have mandated that there's 40% gender representation on, on boards by the end of 2023. Um, so I suppose whatever issues previously there might have been around um, makeup or power or constitutions, um, you know, that it's going to be built until the future of Gaelic Games that there's equal gender representation. Um, so I suppose now is the time to start that. Um, and, and really the LGFA and Camogie have to be pushing on with this and be fully a part of it. Um, and, and they will be, essentially. There's no running away from that now. Do you have any instinct about what the, the barriers have been? Is it, is it like a barrier that's bubbling up at club level around pitches? Is it is it as petty as that? Or is it actually more about like ownership and uh, uh, property and financial cons- considerations? That's, that's what I'm saying. Like We're, we're not... I suppose exactly share what's been holding it up, and that's that's probably why we're we're bringing it to the table to see some action on it. Um, certainly at club level, the fact that there's a one one club model there, progressive clubs that do believe in this, it's already happening. If you like, probably to varying degrees. Um, at national level, there has been some very positive um, collaboration, if you like, across across different initiatives, such as the player development pathway. I suppose even the COVID response was very collectivist. Um, but certainly at county level, especially, there's still a massive disconnect, if you like, between the male and the female player um, and the experiences and recognition of women. Um, but I do think it, it's probably at national level that we need to see that leadership. There probably hasn't been a, a clear vision articulated of what one Gaelic Games governing body looks like. And I suppose the positive impact that that will have. Um, and maybe that's what we need to, to suppose, push on with something that the GPA maybe are trying to, to paint that picture for everyone of, of just how good it could be. Well, that, can you talk to us about that on a practical level? Does this get rid of the fixture issues that we had last week where the defending champions in the Camogie League didn't know where their game was going to be on the Tuesday of the match that was due to be played on the Saturday or Sunday? Um, it's, it's probably not going to deal with, it's not going to fix everything. It's not a magic wand, certainly. Um, but you would hope that as, as far as possible, um, them sort of collab- the, the collaborative working and protections will be built in equal recognition uh, I would love to see one joint master fixture list uh, at the start of the national leagues across all four codes that the inter-county grounds are named for league games that's one very simple thing I suppose that could be achieved, it doesn't even need integration but hopefully within an integrated um set up there would be one fixtures committee looking after fixtures across all the codes um, and that's I suppose where you start seeing the knock on effects um, at a practical level I suppose you're saying there needs to be a structural review, this can't be just the, the GA plus add in some woman, it's very much a new governing body um, it's probably a chance for a reset within Gaelic Games as to what the, the most effective structure actually looks like 
Um, obviously, the people involved uh, will have to have be involved in that. It's very much a collaborative and consultative process. Um, but I suppose if, if you were thinking of it in terms of um, the current structures, uh, are, are you looking at sort of things like equal gender representation on, on management committee, uh, equal gender representation at central council level? Would you have joint male and female presidents? Would you have uh, a male and female delegate from every county? Would you have um, commitments around budgets for things such as coaching and games? Because uh, that's one area at the minute that there's a massive disparity between males and females for young boys and girls. So maybe that's um, maybe maybe that's the stuff that's scaring off the the men who are making yeah. the decision within the GA. Well, that that could be a factor, I suppose. But I I haven't heard that articulated. Uh, I'm not sure how much communication has been internally, I suppose, within the GA to that to that effect. Um, that's I suppose what we're trying to prompt is that conversation within clubs and counties and provincial level and at national level. And, and possibly to encourage wider consultation on this. Like I've had so many good conversations over the last week and integration means a hundred different things to different people. Um, so we probably just want to be clear. I suppose the high level principles for us are really are around equality of obviously investment recognition and opportunity. And then I suppose the structures and the, the process of getting there. Um, that's how we work itself out. And it really does need, I suppose, consultation and, and uh, a bit of action on it. Like it'll be very interesting to see how, how long it takes before we actually get to that point because you mentioned there about gender representation on the committees in Croke Park and uh, at national level. You would assume that that needs to happen via what's happening at, at local level, at grassroots level, at county board level, for example, and where the gender representation is there because it seems that if you look at the county boards uh, around the country that perhaps they're well behind on that front as well. Absolutely, and that's that's the thing. Like, if it's if it's a new Gaelic Games governing body, it's not just going to be GA structures with the women added in. That's that's one really key message, I suppose. Um, it has to be a, a, an integration um, of of all men and women in Gaelic Games. Probably have to stop thinking within the paradigms of GA, LGFA, and Camogie. Um, and it's basically, I don't know what the ideal structure is. This is this is I suppose what we're trying to just prompt. Um, is the ideal structure that there's one county board looking after all four codes and that the, there's sort of functional subcommittees. So you'll have a fixture subcommittee that looks after all four codes and a, a rules subcommittee, a facilities, whatever else it is, but you're working functionally rather than cross codes. Um, I don't know the answers to that, I suppose, but, but what we really want is that consultation to start and, and really like trying to figure out what is the best way forward. Um, and yeah, to your point, um, I suppose Sport Ireland have mandated by the end of 2023 that it happens at board level. Um, so I suppose the implications of that, that is it's a full start, it has to start uh, going through the whole, le- at all different levels of the organisation as a, as a spin-off from that, if you like, that it percolates down. Um, so it's certainly going to have to start happening soon that it's nearly moved beyond, I suppose, whether it's going to happen. It's just how long it's going to take and what it's going to look like. Um, but I suppose also to consider just the most recent example, maybe of Gulf Ireland, um, the the two associations separately joined up, and that was a process that probably took was it was it five years, four or five years. Um, so it was that's I suppose that's a, a, hopefully as long as it will take. But if it if it certainly could be done any shorter than that, I suppose that's what we're really trying to to achieve. I think everyone's in the, the shared vision now that. This is the way forward. Um, it's probably just a slight um, push from the GA, the GPA, sorry, to, to expedite this process and, and kind of move it along from now. 
Uh, presumably it gets overwhelming support on the floor and it gets voted through because, uh, I mean, surely nobody's going to vote no to this, are they? Yeah, well, you would hope it's the right thing to do. And I think even just to, to sort of to take a step back, even the, the cultural influence and the societal position of the GA in Ireland, like it has such a big um, a big stamp across across all parts of life, of life in Ireland, if you like. It just should be a massive statement to women and girls to say, yeah, we, we recognise and value you equally. You're 100% valued part of our organisation. Um, I know it's been it's been frequently um, mentioned before, I suppose the GA wouldn't be what it is without the sort of organisational power. I think that's to quote Liam O'Neill um, previously, it wouldn't be with what it is without the organisational power of women and girls that, that have went before. Um, even the GEA's own research shows that the audience that watches Gaelic Games is almost 50-50 male and female. Um, so, like, and it is a family and a community organisation. So I would hope there's overwhelming support for this. I think there's a shared vision that, that it's the way forward. Um, more than happy to have any, I suppose, discussion or, or um, anyone who wants to talk about it, we're completely open to that, um, to see what, what the view on the ground is with, from different perspectives. Um, but yeah, we, we would hope that this will be a starting point for, for real action. Well, I hope you're dead right, Gemma. We'll keep a very close eye on it and we're certainly very interested to talk about what happens next and also just to keep an eye on it because it's the type of thing that you can put on a shelf and say, oh yeah, we're going to do this. And then even after it happens, it's like, oh, we've done that now. That box is ticked, away we go. And it's like, well, that's not really what we're talking about. We want something completely different. So That's it. That's it. And probably just, sorry, just to, to give the positive side to the players have obviously been through... Uh, um, Emerging process. Obviously, we're a lot smaller and a lot less complicated, and there's a lot less levels, less layers of um, administration in that. But like, it's been nothing only positivity, uh, really, since we started that process, and can speak with some degree of understanding and empathy for for the different perspectives and viewpoints. But like, it's it's just there's so much to begin from at the can't champion this this process enough, and, yeah. and really want to drive it on. No, hundred percent, Gemma. Great stuff. Thanks, Willie, for joining us this morning. Cheers. Stuff. Thanks, guys. Uh, Gemma Begley there, the GPA's Equality, Diversity and Inclusion Manager. And that GPA motion goes to Congress this weekend for equality. We'll uh, keep you updated on Saturday and Sunday shows with uh, Joe and on Saturday with John Duggan as well. If you want to get in touch with a view on that, 087-9180-180 is the WhatsApp number. Or of course, you can always leave a comment on the YouTube stream. Here's what's coming up on OTB Sports Radio today. OTB Gold's Colin Gooch Cooper's feature-length retirement interview at 1 o'clock, State of the Union with Keith Wood at three. The classic is The Brawl. That's your documentary? It is. Yeah. It's a good one. Yeah. Sell yeah. it there. You should, definitely, you should definitely listen to that documentary. It's called The Brawl and it's on OTV Sports Radio today at four o'clock. The Brawl in question is Mead versus Mayo. Yeah. The the, the, the Brawl. The McEnany Brawl. Yeah. OTV Gold. Joe meets Sherlock Nan at six and then tonight the show will be looking back at what happened over the course of the weekend and setting the table for a big week of uh, sport. I mean, that, that decision next weekend might be the biggest thing that happens in Irish sport this year. We'll see. Up next, Alan Quinlan talking rugby. OTB AM. 21 minutes past nine this morning. Alan Quinlan, host of the Red 78 podcast, joins us. Uh, Alan, good morning to you. How are you? I'm good, thanks, Joe. Yeah, Yourself? The, the URC at the weekend, um, a bit off Broadway, but it's an opportunity for those players who are on the fringes of the Ireland squad to remind the selectors and everybody else that like they're pushing hard. Was there anything in Munster's performance in their scrappy win that was uh, of note from an Ireland perspective? Um, yeah, I think, look, Dave, Dave Kilcoyne and, uh, and Craig Casey played well. It was all four games, Joe, were probably... 
the world's views were hard fought, scrappy, uh, weather conditions were bad. So there was there was plenty of mistakes in all the in the four four wins for the Irish provinces. But um I suppose Munster it was a must need win first and foremost to get the bonus point was was uh, was was important. It put them ahead of Edinburgh. They briefly got into third place uh, until Glasgow played on Saturday. But um is there anything that stands out? Well the man that got the three tries in the wing uh, reminded everyone of of his ability to finish tries, Simon Zebo, I think. Um, How close is Zebo to the Ireland squad at the moment? I don't know. I don't know. Um, James I, I Lowe think, came back obviously at the weekend as well. Yeah, and James Lowe got a great try for Leinster. Look, I, I just think we always talk about Simon Zebo and this X factor and this ability to, it's kind of like a striker in soccer, just get goals and... Um, it's just uh, you, you, you notice something with Zebo when he gets the ball anywhere within the sniff of a try line or an opportunity he he has incredible acceleration um, he's, he's weakness I suppose and, and this is something maybe that has hindered him a little bit um, it's probably the work rate the aggressiveness um, and a, 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 probably a relentless type of energy that that some other wingers bring who are less talented than him he's incredibly talented he's good under the high ball great left boot and and he's a brilliant finisher I just think the, the third try he scored in a nice um, Munster swept back down the blind side Ben Healy did really well to fix the defender defender but I I just had this feeling that with, if Zebo gets the ball in his hands he's going to score here he's just that bit of acceleration to get away and um, it's hard to ignore someone who could score three tries like that. He hadn't to do a huge amount um, or anything remarkable, but you just feel if he gets anywhere close to a scoring opportunity, he he, he finishes it. And um, I just think that I don't know. I'd love to I'd love to see him back involved in some way. But look, he obviously needs lots of games, and he's played very little this season. He's thirty-two. Uh, he's thirty-two in March, so he'll be thirty-four by the time the the World Cup rolls around. Like, is is he is is Robert Balakoon ahead of him at this stage in the selectors' minds, or is there an opportunity for him? Like, you know, if 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 he was to get a run of games and his conditioning improves to a point where it's like, okay, he, he's going to be able to go for 87, 88, 90 minutes, however long a rugby game is these days at international level, that we can put him in and trust him. I think so. I think obviously, um, you you ask is, is Robert Ballack going to head in the selectors' minds? Well, obviously yes, because um, that's that's the way the selection went for the Six Nations, the thirty-seven man squad. Mac Hansen's ahead of him. James Lowe's ahead of him. Andrew Conway's ahead of him. Um, Keith Earls. Michael Lowry got picked in. Keith Earls. So th- these guys have been picked. I, I just think, is there anything he can do? Well, it, the World Cup is eighteen months away, really. So. If he's 32 in March, he'll be still, he'll be 33 maybe in September 2023. Um, I just think someone like Simon Zebo, if he, if he, he just needs to play regularly and, and obviously kind of really nail down that jersey in Munster and play week after week. I just think if he's fitter and match fitter, um, he can add to any team and he has that quality. But it's just about consistency and it's up to him himself what kind of drive, desire, Determination he has to get back into that Irish squad. I'm sure he'd love to be back involved. Um, if he has a good period from now to the end of the season, may, he may get he may get into uh, Andy Farrell's squad for New Zealand. So they'll probably bring an extended squad there. 
So, um, you know, all is not lost for him. I just think a couple of glimpses the other night shows that he has something special um, and you can't discount that. Has what we're looking for in a winger changed a little bit over the last little while? Because obviously, Mac Hansen comes in, plays so well, pops up as a midfielder at times and has a versatility that he's showing his skills right across the pitch as the game gets broken down, I guess, throughout the 80 minutes. So, are we judging wingers on those terms rather than whether or not they can play well hugging the touchline for their province? Well, I think it's advantageous, Owen, if you have um, footballing wingers who do come in off the wing um, and affect the game on a regular basis. I think Damien Penno does it so well for France. Um, he just pops up everywhere and I've always been a fan of wingers coming in off off that touchline and, and being options and pinning down back rows or hunting hunting down the halfbacks and um, just keeping them honest and stuff like that. So um, has it changed a little bit? Not, you know, first and foremost, it's like a prop. You have to get your scrum right first. And and if, they, if wingers can score your tries, you've got to get them the ball. But obviously when the game opens up a bit and there's lots of different phases, it does help. I think Sam Zebo is well able to you know, be a playmaker and be an option like that. Um, since he's come back from France, look, he's he's only a handful of games played between COVID injury um, and stuff like that. So um, I think he's well capable of being that, being a footballer like that. But you're right. You know, Hans and James Lowe have have added um, to the Ireland attack, and it's. I wouldn't say that's an issue. That's keeping Simon Zebo out. I just think he needs to be fitter, stronger, and probably shown on a regular basis. Uh, let's talk about the, the Italy game. If um, if Sexton is fit, who do you pick at 10? I don't know, Ger. It's a, it's, 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 it's a difficult one because I'd love to say, yeah, pick Carberry um, and let him kind of express himself with less pressure and, and really build his confidence and resilience. And maybe that's the way to go. But then you don't have Johnny Sexton for he hasn't played a game for four weeks. Then when you when you face England or over four weeks, so um, it's kind of a double-edged sword. Um, so I don't know. Maybe if Johnny Sexton is fit and he's the captain of the squad, I'm sure he'd probably be arguing arguing that 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 out with with Andy Farlitz. It's, it's, but don't we it's need don't one. we need to see like there's, I I can't see any case yes, for, for picking we Sexton do. at ten against Italy. I can't see any case for picking Sexton at ten against Italy. And like and then maybe Car- Carby plays so well that Sexton is now on the bench, and that's just it. That's what happens. Like Sexton got overtaken. Sexton overtook Ogara, and then Ogara re overtook him at the World Cup. Uh, but that's that's how this works. Like just because he's captain, we can't be grandfathering him into the team. No, uh, look, of course not, and and maybe there's more in, um, maybe there's more benefit in giving Johnny or, or Joey Carberry uh, another start. And as I said, you know there'll be less pressure. It'll still be messy, and there's still there is still pressure. But um, maybe there is more benefit in in starting um, in starting Joey Carberry and, and letting him kind of really express himself, as I said, and and and, and go for it, and kind of. Add to what he did in France under extreme pressure against a very, very powerful side. Um, yeah, so there probably is. You asked me the question, what would I do? I, I, I would, I would be leaning towards that way. But then, you want to beat England as well, and I suppose Sexton has 
gone through periods before where he hasn't played for a long time and, and he's seamlessly transitioned back into the side. So there probably is more benefit in starting Joey Carberry. See, I don't think it's guaranteed that you start Saxon against England either way at this stage. If Carberry plays well against Italy, he's played two games in a row, come in, taking the jersey, to drop him at that point because Saxon is captain, I think that's... Uh, I, I guess what I'm saying is I think that we're what we're hopefully what we're witnessing here is the transition to Carberry at ten, Sexton on the bench. Yeah, um if he if he went out and played brilliantly against Sicily, you have that that argument and that's what the, the Andy Farrell would probably want because um there's been an over reliance on Connor Murray and Johnny Sexton for years when they were the nine and ten and, and so successful for Ireland. And that was conversations we were having all the time. Who's going to take the jerseys? Who's going to put pressure on them? If one or either of them are injured, um, it upsets the whole flow of the team. So if he does that, yes, everyone would like to see that, bar Johnny Sexton. But um, I think, you know, obviously he wants to try and keep going um, and and get to that next World Cup. Um, and he's been brilliant for Ireland. But there is a need for for Carberry and Jack Carty and the rest Ross Bourne Harry Bourne um, to step up and, and kind of make sure that we don't have the same issues when Johnny Sexton doesn't play for Ireland again That, that would be an interesting dynamic as well you'd imagine Sexton being on the bench being the chaser once again just like he was 12 uh, 11 years ago and I guess the way that that would drive standards everywhere in camp with Carberry looking over his shoulder at Sexton if he was to be the starting 10 Yeah you just don't, you don't know what, uh, what 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 look I think I had this conversation um, a number of times um, on, on one occasion when that when Johnny and Ronan were trying to you know, uh, take each other on, and and they had that 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 great competition for places. And I remember after an England game, I think it was 2011 or 12, when Ronan didn't didn't get on for for the England game. He was on the bench, and he was he was like someone who who you know had the biggest disappointment of his life. I think he'd 124 caps at that stage, or 120 plus caps at that stage. Um, and it just showed the drive and desire of him that <clears throat> he was on the bench and there was a transition happening and he just couldn't let himself kind of drop his own standard and allow it, allow it to be an easy situation. I'm sure Johnny Sexton would be he's the exact same. They had that same desire, that fight in them. Um, and if that happened, he wouldn't be pleased. And no matter what age he is, no matter what the perception is in the outside. So, um, but... And that drives people on around him, as you say, Owen. That that makes people, it puts them on on edge and 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 shows that you have to keep that fight going right to the end. And that's what good players do. Uh, just to kind of like counter what you were saying there, Jerry, a moment ago about you know this is what happens. You know, the informed player gets a shirt. I know that it happens because Sexton gets injured in the, in the middle of the week between the first couple of games. But but who put in the best performances of the first two weeks? Because like I mean, there's a lot of short term memory maybe going on here. Where best ability is availability. I, I, Sexton I get gets injured a lot. I get that, but Sexton was also excellent the first week. So just even even if you just t- take away that that obvious point that you just made there, if you're if you're rating both of these out halves out of ten so far in the first couple of weeks, like who had the better game, Sexton against Wales or or Carberry against France? Well, contextually, right. We killed Wales because their pack was terrible and shorn of all their best players. We we came up against the best 
packing the world at the moment in France and what would Sexton have done in the situation it's not like would like right I know it's not so, yeah. so it's a 9 out of 10 performance from Sexton and it's a 7 out of 10 performance and you go therefore by those metrics you pick Sexton back because he is but but that's not what happened is it like it's it was like contextually this is against a really good team this is against a really bad team well then I guess that's the question then contextually like what was the more impressive performance well <laughs> Jerry's given Wales um giving them a bit of mitigation there. I think Ireland were, were ruthless and at times against Wales. Um, but the different sort of pressure against France. So it is contextually, uh, it's different, different, different games. But I just think Johnny Sexton, what he does is better than what Joey Carberry um, does at the moment. Um, and I think there was one or two times when I think Sexton's experience and the type of player he is, the way he can really take the physical exchanges, take the ball to the game line, and his execution of pass in that really pressurised situation is is world-class. And that's what's made him a world-class player for a long, long period of time. Um, I think that's what where Joey Carberry can get to. I think he has he's a, he's a brilliant footballer. Um, so if you're rating him out of 10 on the performances of both matches, yes, it's different. And a lot of the time it is down to your forward pack and the type of service they give but again it's not it's not like for like the two games because of the different sort of pressure you're under but um, going also, back to the original also, point one last point on this there's also the case that it's very unlikely we're going to win the championship now because we lost against the best team who more than likely are going to win the championship and so therefore while the prize money is still hugely important if the prize is I know it's not entirely gone but there's there's now a bit more wiggle room for us to think long term. And long term, what's the best thing for us? It has to be to get game time for somebody who isn't Sexton, who more than likely won't be this good when the World Cup rolls around, because age remains undefeated in all sports ever. I just think there's loads of opportunities again for Johnny Sexton. If he doesn't start, I'm just saying if it's if it's if he doesn't start against Italy, um I think Ireland can still win the championship. France have got to go to Scotland. Um, they've got to go to Cardiff and they've got to play England the last one they've got to be really really good for three three games on the trot um, they're probably capable of that but I just I, I, I said it before the start of the tournament I didn't think there was going to be a Grand Slam winner um, and I think if going into the last weekend if we're in the mix and that, and the Irish selectors would be mindful of that um, as well and I just think, look, Ireland are a different team with Johnny Sexton in it. And that's the reality. And you want to go to Twickenham. If we go to Jerry, if we go to Twickenham and lose against England, well, well then we're looking at a pretty negative sensations, what, what was so promising to start. So, um, you know, there'll still be plenty of opportunities. I don't think it's a major issue for, for Joey Carver if he doesn't start against Italy. He has the France performance in the bank. There's a summer tour to New Zealand. There's going to be November internationals. There's, there's going to be lots more more opportunities. I'm not saying it's the, completely the right thing to do, but I, do, I just don't think Johnny Sexton will be too pleased. Um, well, but cares? it's up Danny Farrell. It's up, yeah, it's exactly. Up Farrell. Like just, you know, unhappy player is unhappy at being dropped. I don't care. Like yeah, that, you know. I, but there still be will, will be one eye on the, that English. That, okay. that, that performance that's needed in Twickenham so look it's a debate we see later in the week yeah one last question for you South Africa joining the Six Nations in 2025 would that be a good thing or a bad thing um, possibly a good thing but not removing it I don't think I think it, 
I think Italy needs support and I think they need um, removing Italy would destroy them completely. And I know I've been, at times you think does there need to be a relegation thing? Possibly, but removing Italy is something that is quite harsh and something that I don't don't think will happen, obviously, because they're stakeholders themselves. Bringing South Africa into it would offer a different kind of intrigue. Um, Would it damage the Lions tours? Yeah, I think so. Um, I don't know if there's a need to. They've signed up with Sanzar for till 2025, which is, you know, three years away. They're going to be playing the Southern Hemisphere. So I don't know. I think it would be exciting if it did happen and it would be add a different dimension to to the Six Nations, which is already incredibly historic and uh, captures the minds of everyone's year after year. So I don't know. I think it, in some ways it could damage it. But it's kind of like the South Africans coming into the URC. Um, it adds something a little bit different, which is, you know, some people are, are resistant to change in life, um, and I think it, it could be it could be something that was exciting. But again, we're speculating down the line, and it's all down to money. Yeah. Okay, so, uh, so it's a period of time away. Um, we better mention Connacht. Their win at the weekend. I know you've got to go, but uh, they were incredibly impressive. In, in, in the win over in Scarlet's at the weekends, uh, I thought, you know, have, not having won there since 2004. They're getting a lot of monkeys off their back uh, over the last 12 months or so. A, a period of consistency now will be great for them. And obviously, they were going to be up against it in the Heineken Cup quarterfinals. But big opportunity for them to remind everybody that actually they have made those quantum D forward and we'll be bringing those games live on off the ball. Alan, good stuff. Thanks a million. Cheers, Ed. Thanks. It's Alan Quinn and there you can get the Red 78 podcast in the OTB Rugby stream. You can get it wherever you get your podcast as well. Search Red 78. Uh, Brown says, Zebo can't be near the Irish team. I love him and I'm a Munster man, but he'll be too old for the World Cup. Just not worth sacrificing younger wingers for him at this stage. I do think that um, we have a fetish for youth. I mean, it's, I'm just making I was that just point about myself. to say, I mean, there's a lot of ageism going on this morning. But um, well, it, 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 there's a difference between 33 and 37, isn't there? Well, I, I cannot disagree with that fact. No. That is, there are two different numbers. Yes, yeah, and one is uh, is bigger. But look, I mean, I don't think he's close to it at the moment. He's uh, he'd need to get in Six Nations shape, you know. OTBM is brought to you by Gillette. Good morning. Start with Gillette. Put your best face forward with their new and improved razors. Join us tomorrow morning from half past seven. We're talking Champions League, the latest with the Irish women's national team, Six Nations, and we'll bring you Owen's latest Gaelic football power rankings. OTB. With Gillette, put your best face forward with our new and improved razors.